Wop, 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 wop. Yep, that's not where the mic goes. I'll tell you where you can put the mic. No place Mike hasn't already been. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Mic check. Mic check one two. My mic is plugged in. <laughs> that, that is. That's what good. I checked. I last I heard, they do not make microphones that operate wirelessly. This is um. But they do. I I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Science fiction is not reality. We live in the year 2022, and microphones need cables. Well, certainly this one does, as we have learned. <laughs> yes. It's not like we've had to completely redo an entire segment. That's never happened. Welcome. This is episode 18. Sweet 18. Sweet 18. Is that what they call it? No. No. No, well, but but now we can um, vote. Right. We can send our podcast off to war. <laughs> yep. Yep. But we can't celebrate their return by buying them a drink. Yet. Yet. Uh, here's a fun fact about this episode, dear listener. We are recording this episode before we have finished episode 17. Because we're waiting on some friends to play the last game in that series. And I don't want to reveal it to you because I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, let's not say anything more about that. Yeah, they, they could end up hearing this episode first and then go back to episode 17 and be angry that we spoiled them. I mean, if you want it to be truly chronological, yeah. like the best listeners are, right? Yeah. That's You'd have I to said. listen to this. Yeah. In, you have to stop listening to episode 17. That's true. Before the last segment. Yeah. That's then right. listen to the beginning of episode 18. Yeah, that's true. And probably the first couple of reviews on 18. <laughs> and and then, then cut back. Go back to 17. That's true. It's like uh, watching uh, Star Wars, right? You, you watch these <laughs> movies and then you got to jump back over here and watch these. Unless you're one of those absolute mad lads who thinks that watching them from one to nine is, is going to tell idea. a good story. Nah. <laughs> but that's for a different podcast. This podcast is about board games. And in particular today, we are celebrating the games of the GIPF project. That's right. GIPF. I didn't just have a little mini seizure. GIPF is an actual word. G-I-P-F. Yep. By designer Chris Berm. From what I can tell, these are his labor of love, his passion, and uh, it is a series of games with increasingly weird names, uh, <laughs> but an overlapping series of mechanics and a really neat minimalist aesthetic. And a couple of folks asked us to review these looking at our board game collection back when we had that giveaway. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. We haven't actually played through all these games together. Uh, they've been on the shelf. I've had these on my shelf since long before I even knew my extremely intelligent, talented... Whoa, you're really stumbling here. Stop trying so hard. It's well, okay. I just didn't want to start going straight to gorgeous. Oh, <laughs> shucks. Uh, before I even moved out here, I had these games on my shelf, and, and they've been sitting there ever since. And we decided after hearing some feedback, we were like, let's let's dive into them. This will be fun. We'll explore them. And so here we go. We are going to start with uh, GIP. We're going to play like, I don't know, five games or so of GIP. And we're going to come right back here. And we're going to tell you all about it and what we think. Let's go. <laughs> we went very different directions there.
When I look out into space, no, you no, know what? No, that's not doing wrong that. game. Wrong, wrong game. Wrong segue. There's no segues here. There's no cute bit to be done here. These are the gift games. This is gift project game number one. The titular gift. The gifular gift. <laughs> There's no bit here. This is gift by Chris Berm, and uh, it's the flagship game in the gift project series. Uh, and, and what and, a yeah. great entryway. Yeah. So, do you like hexes? I know you do. Mm -hmm. I do. I really do. And do you like Connect Four? (laughs) Not particularly. Do you wish that Connect Four were really difficult? Yes. That is something that I have always wished. Because those little brats, they've got it too easy. Well, let me just talk about what we're looking at here because it'll take two seconds. Yeah, sure. It is a hex. Yep. It has lines going (laughs) through it at all of the angles. I guess how best to describe it. So you got yourself a hex. And at the very least, connecting every corner of the hex, you've got lines. Mm -hmm. And then between those corners, there's uh, three more kind of points out from which lines radiate. Just lines upon lines upon lines, making little triangles inside of the hex, Mm -hmm. right? And those lines extend a little bit outside and, and terminate in dots, which is where the pieces will kind of come in from. We'll talk about that in a mm-hmm. second. Uh, but that's it. It's it's just a big square board with a hex in the middle that's been chopped up with a bunch of lines, intersecting lines. Uh, and uh, they give you a bunch of, uh, are these, I think these are Bakelite. They click and clack like Bakelite. Yeah, they have a very satisfying... Yeah. Sound and feel. Yep. They're smooth. And they give you, uh, I don't know how many of these. Let me look here in the rule book, unless you can count them before I can look it up. I mean, I probably could, but I'm not going to try. 18. There you go. They give you 18 of these. And they stack. Yeah. There's rings on the inside of these so that the base of one will fit into the top of the next one. You'll only ever have to stack two. Not like you're going to be making big towers. No. Um, but you but, can stack any two. But that's it. And it's true. You can stack any to pick two. And there you go. There's no <laughs> there's no pairing here. They're, they freely, it's like uh, polyamory. They'll just stack with anybody these days. It's also fun to stack your whole, whole tower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. That's GIF. Uh, let's move on to the next <laughs> game in the series. Okay, let's talk about how you set up the game and how you actually play it. Yeah, so GIF is a game of making connections where your goal is to outlast your opponent uh, by putting pieces on the board and capturing their pieces so that eventually they run out and can't make a, a valid move on their turn. And when that happens, good work. You've won the game. You've outlasted them. <laughs> so you have, what, 18, you said? 18 pieces. pieces. Yep. And the game starts with three stacks of two yep. from each player uh, at the alternating vertices yep. of the hex. So you pick a corner of the hex, put one of your double stacks there. You go around the border of the hex, and it alternates. You know, my double stack, your double stack, my double stack, your double stack around the corners of the hex. Yeah, like a Star of David. There you go. That's it. That's what I was looking for. So that's how the board starts. And then you'll have 18 minus 6 equals 12 yeah. uh, of your that's math. pieces left. Always, always come through with the math. For actually playing the game. Yeah. So the way 
the game is played is you'll take one of your 12 remaining tokens and you will choose one of the points that is outside of the perimeter of the hex yep. and basically slide it along one of the two lines that comes out of it. So each point outside of the hex has two lines, each one going to, I guess, those other triangle edges, the opposite edges <laughs> in either way, the Star of David edges. Yeah, so the, there's there's all these lines on the hex and those lines extend outward from the sides and the corners of the hex and they create a, uh, a spot for you to put a piece on and push it and push it right into the hex, shoving pieces around. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of those instances where the listener is just going to have to like look at a picture. Yeah. Very, very geometric here. Yep. All of these games are going to be like this. So, you know, get, get your phone out and, uh, and load up a uh, BGG <laughs> to look at pictures here. Uh, indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, you just you, you pick a point, you pick a direction, and, and you slide. Shove it. Just shove it, man. That's Just all you got to do. Just shove it. And that creates a little shoving action that pushes these pieces around. And then eventually what's going to happen is four pieces of the same color are going to end up in a straight line. Uh, and when that happens, those four pieces and any other pieces that are touching those four pieces in that line get taken off the board. So if I create a line of four and then there's one of Laura's pieces at the end of that line, then those four pieces of mine go away and that one piece of Laura's goes away and I've captured it. It Yep. Mine. And if there's even pieces after Laura's piece on that straight line, those will go away. If they're Laura's, I capture them. If they're mine, then they just go back into my supply to be redeployed onto the board. So you get your own pieces back when you make a connect four. Yep. And any of the pieces of the opponents that are on the outside of that line are captured. Yep. There is one exception, these double stack pieces. If uh, Laura ends up capturing one of my double stack pieces like we just talked about, it's gone forever. But if I make a connect four with one of my double stack pieces and there are any number of my double stack pieces, I can choose to leave those double stack pieces on the board, which can come in really, really handy for, for kind of staking out control of, the, of certain parts of the board or I can choose to take those double stack pieces off the board, break them apart, and count them as two single pieces in order to extend my life a little bit longer, in order to keep me going, which I might do as kind of a, a last bit of desperation. And I say that because one way to lose, like we talked about, is if you can't make a legal play. If you're out of pieces and it's your turn and you can't go, you're done. Your game is over. But another way to lose is if you lose all of your double stacks. So if you voluntarily take one of your own double stacks off the board and that's your last one, you've lost. So don't do that. That's silly. Don't be silly. We don't tolerate silliness here. This is a very serious game for serious people. Yeah. You can tell because of the seriousness of the board. Yeah. No whimsy here. Nope. It's all just blue hex. You know, I think that is enough of a description. Yeah. I think we can just go straight to, sure. to talking about how we feel. Yeah, sure. Shoving pieces around, making connect fours, capturing other pieces. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Laura? I've played this game a lot, and I would like to hear your opinion on it first. So I definitely grew up playing a lot of Othello. Yeah. My brother, Ross, who is two years younger than me, repeatedly whooped me at it (laughs) and at chess. Yeah. But I definitely grew up playing abstract strategy games. I I mean, 
Othello is nothing like this game. Yeah. But there are black and white pieces. It is a minimalist board. Close enough. <laughs> and actually, there is some similarity, I think, in this particular one, GIF. Yeah. Uh, in wanting to have kind of control of the center of the board. There's a lot of power there. Yeah, I'd say but, so. But also this, when you capture pieces, you also have a little bit of a setback for yourself because yeah. you're you're made weaker uh, as a result because you have... In this case, you've had to pick up pieces of yours that were perhaps in a good position on the board, uh, and you'll have to take a few turns probably to gain that position back again. But like Othello in that way, you know, if you flip a whole row of, of tokens to the opposite color, you're now giving your opponent a bunch more targets. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a theme you're going to find runs through a few of the games in this project. The uh, making yourself stronger while also making yourself weaker or you know, making your opponent weaker while making yourself weaker, some kind of thing like that. It, this is not a, this is not a snowball game. This is, this is, I have taken one step forward, but man, it's cost me and I'm going to need to spend a little time getting back to where I was. Yeah. So I like, I like that. I yeah. think that that's, that's fun because nobody just likes getting stomped. No, you know, when you see all. the tides are not in your favor and it just continues to be a tsunami against you. It's not like that. Yeah. I feel like maybe chess is a little bit like that, right? You capture yeah. someone's piece in chess. You're not any weaker. You've just made them weaker and you get to just like ramp up and every victory just seems to me to compound on another one. Now I'm sure some, some grandmaster chess player is listening to this and is like, that's not true at all. But you know, that's my feeling. I'm a chess, you know, complete chess newbie. And that's my <laughs> feeling is when, when I lose a piece in chess, I feel like I am now weaker. They are stronger and they have sacrificed nothing other than maybe a little bit of position. Cause then I can take their piece back. But by and large, taking a piece in a game like chess makes you stronger. Whereas this capturing some of your stuff leaves me a little weaker. Yeah. That said, boy, this game is hard. This game is so hard. Again, all of this is is delivered with the understanding that that we are newbies at this. That, that you know, maybe if we play this game regularly for X amount of time, we will come out the other side knowing exactly all the right moves. But man, it's just you you, you put down a piece and you push it in and you go, I hope that works. I don't know. I have no idea what to do in three moves from now. I don't know what I want the board to look like, and I don't know how to get the board to look like that, even if I did know. I'll take it one step further. Not only will you not know what the board will look like, but there are large swaths of the game when both of you have many pieces on the board Yeah, in which you literally can't plan a turn ahead because anything <laughs> that your opponent will do is yeah. going to shift something in the row that you're looking at. Yeah. Uh, as you continue to put more pieces on the board and you shove things in, it gets to a point where some rows can't have any more shoving done. Yeah. So you have to pick sometimes the rows that are going to shift a piece in many rows yeah so everything what, changes whatever this game's version of perpendicular is right you have yeah. to where you <laughs> you've got a full row so you have to come from the other direction and knock a piece out of there but then now you've shoved and filled that row up and and yeah the two pieces of strategy that i think i've picked up is you got to think in blobs and you got to control the center of the board that's about as far as i've gotten you and I, when we play this game, we don't even bother hiding our strategy. We just openly talk about what it is we're trying to do. Yeah, and I, I don't think that that's a bad way to play. No, 
<laughs> uh, you know, it just shows how not competitive we are at this game. It's tough. It's a it's it's a tough game to play, and it's a it's a heck of an intro to the series because there are games in this series that are uh, a lot easier uh, to hmm. get into and to understand, which which you'll see. You know, I only say that because I, like I said, I've played these some of these before. This is if I were introducing this series right now to someone, I would not start with GIF. I would start with a different game. Well, then when we get there, yeah, you could be like, this is the one I would start with. Yeah. But final feels here. Yeah. Final feels. I like it. Yeah. It's I. It's an interesting little puzzle box. Yes. I I don't really feel like when we play the Duke, I feel like we're playing a game. When we play uh, some other kind of abstract strategy, the Duke is pretty much the only abstract strategy we have right now. Mm. But when I play a game like that, like I feel like I'm playing a game. I'm making decisions. Should I do this? How is that going to bite me in two turns? That kind of, And when I lose, most of the time I know why I lost. In this game, you put a piece on the board and you shove it in, and maybe that was a bad move, but you won't realize that for four turns. And at that point, the board has changed so much you don't learn anything from it. So you say, well, that was okay. And you reset the board and you try it again without actually feeling like you're, you're, you're gaming. So yeah, it's all right. Now, what this game does have going for it mm-hmm. is the GIF potentials. Hand me this purple bag. Oh gosh. What uh, we have chip here. chip just fell out of the bag. That's fine. What we have here. Oh, I did not plan for this at all. Uh, this is an unscripted moment. This is this is live radio unfolding yeah, here. I don't know what you're doing. Is a full bag of fancy gift pieces. Why? Why? For other games? No, for this game. These are called gift potentials, and what they do is that they take some of the concepts of other games in the gift series mm. and then let you bring them into gift to play with new little tiny additions to the rules, little variations. We're not going to talk about those right now. <laughs> we're going to play the other games in the series, and then we're going to come back to this and talk about how these potentials reflect each of the games in the series and whether or not these potentials are worth your time and effort to add on to GIF as well. All right. Sounds like a fun journey. It does sound like a fun journey. Uh, and, and here we go. Uh, stage two. Czar. Czar. So, GIF has come out. It's pretty popular. Chris Berm decides he's going to uh, make a new game. Well, especially because he already put the number one on that first box. <laughs> At the it's time, like... I don't think he did. <laughs> I don't think he did. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. Maybe he had this the whole thing planned from the start. Everyone was actually calling it one GIF. They didn't get it. <laughs> That's a weird name for... Oh... <laughs> So, uh, you know, he puts out this game uh, with a plastic board, some white plastic rings, some hourglasses, little tiny egg timers that fit into the, the little holes on this plastic board. And the idea is that you turn those hourglasses over as you move them around and play the game in real time. And he called it Pendulum. <laughs> the end. That's it for number two. He released it. Game number two in the Project GIF series, and I'm calling it Tamsk. And everyone thought, what the heck is this? And there it stayed as game number two in the GIF Project series for a long time 
until uh, he decided that game sucked and did not fit in the GIF feeling, in the GIF vibe, in the GIF maison sans. It was the redheaded stepchild of the bunch. Oh, I don't like saying that because there's a poor redheaded stepchild out there being like, hey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, I think I actually know a redheaded stepchild. <laughs> um, so he canceled that game. The game was done. I think in all seriousness, uh, the fact that it had those hourglasses and you know anyone who's played a game with those little sand hourglasses knows that they are not consistent. It's a very analog experience for what in a family of games is a very digital. Like I take, I take my piece and I move it and that's it. There's no question about what I have done. Whereas with the hourglasses, oh, did it actually run out of time? Did it not? Don't knock it over because then that'll ruin the game. Did it get stuck? Yeah, did it get all that stuff? So Tamsk has been uh, memory hold. It doesn't exist. It is no longer part of the GIF series, relegated to uh, Obscura. And in its place, we have Czar, the new number two, the new second game in the GIF project series. Czar. A completely different game. Has nothing to do with hourglasses or little plastic rings. But it does involve a hex in the middle of the board. It does. And it feels in that way a little bit like a natural progression from GIF. Yeah, sure. You've got yourself a hex. Just a big hex in the middle of the board. Hex has lines again. Going up, down, diagonal, all over the place. The same lines. The exact same lines as from GIF. Except there is a big hex-shaped hole punched right in the center that no piece shall ever cross over or through. It's a donut. Yep, it's a, a hex donut. And what you get are uh, a collection of little plastic pieces, kind of like in GIF, where you have pieces uh, that are of your color, like for example, white. I have a bunch of white pieces. I have 15 white pieces. And then I have nine pieces that are white, but with like a drop of gold in the middle. And then I have six pieces that are white with a drop of gold in the middle and a ring of gold. Like a darts target. Like a bullseye. Yeah. I think is what they call that. That's it. And you got the same thing for the black pieces, but instead of gold, it's silver. And you can play it in a few ways. You can play with the predefined setup of the board, which is very boring and actually kind of borderline deterministic. Or you can play with a random setup where you just... Mix a bunch of tiles up in a bag. Draw them out, lay them out totally randomly. Slap them on the board. Or you can play tournament style, which allows you to kind of look each other in the eyes. You place each individual piece on the board, one after the other. Place any piece you want anywhere on the board until the board is full up, and then you play the game. So we played style number two. Yeah, the random style is the most interesting to me. I have no interest in playing the <laughs> super op- option number three. Mega brain tournament style. Yeah, it's like yeah. you have to play a whole game just to get set up, yeah. and then you actually <laughs> play the game. I don't want to yeah. do that. Yep. So uh, we've got the board set up. You There you go. Board's all set up. And how do we play this game? Well, every single... No, I mean that literally. I have no idea how to play because you just smoke me at it. We'll talk about it later. Oh, please. <laughs> Two of the six games that we played, you won. So I think that's right. Maybe you have five. The first one doesn't count. The first one doesn't count because you didn't know what you were doing. We are digressing. I have played this before with you. It's just been a number of years. Okay. So how does the game play? When you set up the board initially, every single 
vertice yeah. will have a piece in it. It could be any of those six pieces that Paul just mentioned. So when you take your f- turn, yeah. you get to do two actions. The first action has to be a capture of an opponent's piece. Yep. In fact, the game ends if a player cannot make a capture. Yeah, that's that's one of the ways to win the game. Stall your opponent out. Mm-hmm. Just like in uh, Gip. True. Yeah. Yep. Just wait it out. Starve them out. Yeah. The second action can be either another capture or what is it called? A, I don't know. Consolidation. Reinforcement. reinforcement. There yeah. you go. Yep. Uh, basically where you king yourself. So you, you will stack one of your pieces on top of another one of your pieces. Now, as Paul mentioned, because there are scarcer bullseye. Yeah. Of than, your than pieces plain than ones. the plain ones. Yeah. You may wish to stack accordingly such that your <laughs> Almost more rare never. one is on the top. Almost never stack a plain one on top of anything. If, if you're doing that, you either have a really weird strategy or something has gone wrong. And the reason for that is that another way you can win, in fact, the other way you can win, yep. <laughs> is to capture all of any one of those three types of pieces of yeah. your opponents. All of the 15ers, the Niners, or the Sixers, as we call them. The rule book has like, I don't know, Tatsas, Zarinas, and Tater Tots. I don't know. I I can't be bothered to look that up. Uh, 15ers, Niners, and Sixers. Yep. Yeah. Paul, why don't you tell them how capturing goes and yeah you just you just dunk on something if you're if you're (laughs) if you want to capture a piece you just move one of your pieces on top of it it can be a piece that is right next to one of yours or you can move all the way down the line as long as it's empty so if there's something all the way on the other side of the board at least in a straight line from your piece then you slide all the way down there get a running start and then just mega dunk on them and and take it away Now, the benefit of stacking is that that increases the strength of your pieces. So if you stack one of your pieces on another, that's now a strength two piece. And a piece can only capture uh, another piece if it's the same or lesser strength. So building yourself up to a two means that those little dinky ones around you can't capture you until someone else makes a two. Until (laughs) Until someone else makes a two. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, not using that. (laughs) we're not going to be that kind of show (laughs) okay yeah until your opponent creates one of two strength and comes along and is now threatening to dunk on you so now you have to turn that two into a three You're a you child. Said dunk and I just like, child. Right back there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Until your opponent makes a strength two and then comes along, threatens to dunk on you. So you got to turn that two into a three so that you can pre dunk before they dunk you. So it just becomes a stacking war. Yeah. To some degree. Yep. And the stacking works the same way as the capturing. You can slide all the way down the line to yeah. stack a piece on top of one of your own. Yeah. It, it's actually really exciting to be able to just go all the way across the board to do what you want to do. It it feels like the board is this wide open landscape. I would say the same thing, especially when you hit a stride, maybe midway through a game. If, yeah. it, if it looks like it's going to be one of those kind of starve out your opponent games, there is this 
really wonderful feeling midway through where you can see all of these different pathways yeah. and you know, maybe you want to do two captures and they both involve a slide. Yeah. You know, or um, you're like you're just like uh, it's like Tony Hawk. You're just like grinding all over the place. You know, go over here, whoa, yeah. get dunked, boom, and then whoa over there, power up. Now I'm a strength three. It is just like that. <laughs> it's funny because I was gonna make like an ice skating sound when you yeah. said Tony Hawk and then it Tony Hawk is not an ice skater. Yeah, I know. I realized that and I was like, I'm glad I didn't do that. <laughs> I'd love to see an ice skater do a McTwist. But I think it's a little more like ice skating. Okay. Yeah, sure. You clearly have not played enough Tony Hawk. Okay. We'll meet in the middle. Fine. Fine. It's it's a good game. I know this is this has been quick. This has been a quick little review, but but I think we covered like the things we like about it. It's I feel like it's way more accessible than GIF. Uh, that is gonna be a theme, I think, in a few more of these games too immediately more accessible you can tell by the state of the board the very first thing you need to do is is strengthen up some of those those bullseye pieces of yours so that they don't get taken Mm -hmm. otherwise the game will be over real quick then you have to figure out what you're left with and how you can either win by capturing your opponent's stuff or win by stalling out and and that decision doesn't always come at the same time and it it's not always super apparent and Laura can probably tell me what it's like uh, when you do shift into that gear and then win the game because I have no idea. Oh, shush. <laughs> so much like GIF, yeah. this has the same quality of weakening yourself as you strengthen yourself. Yeah. If you decide to take one turn to capture and one turn to stack, that stacking actually removes one yeah. of your own pieces from it's the board. It's a self-capture. So you've yeah. kind of done your opponent's job for them, but the reward is that your piece is now harder to capture. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a balancing act. We've discovered in playing this several times that having too many stacked yep. pieces is actually... Probably bad. Right. I learned that lesson when I looked at the board and realized that I had like four movable pieces and you technically had like nine. (laughs) It's also really hard when you lose a stacked piece. Yeah. You know, you have to kind of protect those a bit. And if another one that's bigger just comes around and chomps you up because maybe you got two good vector slides there. It really hurts. Yeah. Uh, This one I think is definitely top tier. I... If I had to make a tier list, this is top tier Gip project. We were me. asked for a tier list, so oh, then then I for right now, you know, we'll come up with one at the end. We'll maybe put a little tier list together, but I'll I'll tell you right now, this is top tier for me. Uh, this this is this is a real good one. We'll see if it's my favorite too. Yeah, onward to the third one, which I don't remember if it's is it Zert? Zerts. Okay, onward to the third one, which is Zerts. Zerts. Number three. Number three. We've we've made through two out of seven. It's uh, just under thirty percent. I don't know. We've talked about this. I'm not good at math. You be quiet. Well, here we are. <laughs> what is this thing over the e? Is that a, what is that? An agave? That a, a, yes, a gor- it's an agave. The accent grave. Grave. Okay. Which is not the a sound. Okay. So it's not zer. It's zerts. It's, I don't know, I think it's just Zerts, but I, like I feel the, like that's how you would pronounce it anyway. So is it's that like the weird umlaut in Spinal Tap with the, I think it's over the A. 
<laughs> I don't remember, but yeah. yes, it seems to me to be excess. Well, we in this house pronounce it Zertz, as in just duh. And uh, mm-hmm. this is number three in the GIF project. Uh, it definitely is the most striking, I think, out of all of them because it doesn't actually have a board. Yeah. It has these little plastic rings, these little black plastic rings, and a collection of big chunky marbles uh, that come in uh, white, Here. gray. Oh, yeah. You hear that sound? Yeah. Very satisfying. Oh, I got uh, one. Yep. <laughs> it's a weird looking game. And it's a weird playing game too. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about really how you set it up. Sure. Pretty quickly here. Uh, what do you got in the middle of the board? Well, that that would be nothing except yeah. what you set up. And what you set up are these discs that Paul mentioned that uh, have a cut out. They're donuts. Yeah. But they're convex, I yeah. guess. So you've got like a little tiny donut mountain here, <laughs> and it has mm. a. <laughs> It has a place where you can put your marble on top and the yeah. marble will balance on that hole. Yep. You set up the discs in a hex. Ooh, it's yeah. a hex. That is four wide on each side of yeah. discs. And then you don't set up any marbles in advance. The nope. marbles are all for playing. And you have, as Paul mentioned, those three colors. Like in the Czar game, Yeah. there are marbles of scarcity yeah. and marbles of plenty. And this game, the white marbles are the scarcer ones. There's only six of them. Yep. There are eight of the gray marbles and 10 of the black marbles. Yeah. And the object of the game is to capture the majority of one color of marble. So that would be four whites or five grays or six blacks. Or to capture three of each color. Uh, and that's, that's it. Uh, you are not playing as a color. You are the player. And you play the game by putting a marble down on somewhere on the hex arrangement of discs here and sliding one of those discs out of there. And, and you, the emphasis is on sliding. You're not lifting it out. You're sliding, which means that, that it can't bump into anything on the way out. So you're, you're generally going to be shrinking the board from the outside mm-hmm. in. And if through the, the play of the game you manage to, to isolate, to create a little iceberg of of (laughs) of discs with a marble on it or two marbles or whatever Uh, those marbles are yours too you've captured those marbles good work it doesn't really happen very often i don't i think it happened once in a game that we played yeah yeah now here's the thing that makes this game interesting the way you capture marbles is by jumping over them like checkers checker style and just like in checkers i don't know how you played it Mm -hmm. when i played it Mm -hmm. if you can jump you must jump that's not a checkers rule it is, isn't is it? Is it? Yeah. Oh, quick. To the computer. That is a checkers rule. Well, well, well. The computer sounds like uh, they have it right. You know, while I do find the computer to be... <laughs> Sultry? Really, yeah. I just, I just love that voice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't appreciate the attitude and <laughs> whoa it sounds like we need to put you and the computer in a room together and you two can hash out your problems <laughs> that sounds like the worst thing in the entire world <laughs> well actually. hand each of you a phone book and i can just listen to both of you reading it that's very sweet oh goodness so yeah capturing is mandatory and in fact that is the game is trying to figure out a way to set the board up to force your opponent to move so that you can create a favorable condition for yourself on the board. And what you end up doing a lot is sacrificing 
a black marble so that you can get your hands on a white one or something like that. And when you jump, you have to you, go boing every time. It's in the rules. That and I to the I, computer. <laughs> that is not a Zert's rule. Oh, okay. Well, look, just because it's handwritten in ink in our rule book, I suppose, doesn't mean that that's actually in the official rules. Mm-hmm. So the the thing I was going to say yes. that is actually true is that you don't remove a disc when you jump. So oh yeah, yep. It, when you play, you're either placing a marble and removing a disc, or if there is a jump available, you are only jumping. So yeah. as you mentioned, part of the game is basically forcing your opponent to have no options. Now, usually that means sacrificing marbles to your opponent. And literally that is what they say in the rule book, Zertz, a game about making sacrifices. And that, that's really what it is. How much is that white marble worth to you? Two blacks, a black and a gray? Who knows? Only you know. Certainly as the game progresses, part of what you have to evaluate is which pieces you don't want your opponent to get as far as when you force them to do a thing. Yeah, like when I gave you three black marbles in exchange for a single white one, that probably was not a good trade. Yeah, see, the irony there is what you did was left us both with the same number of marbles of color to get. (laughs) And you gave me the task of getting three of a more plentiful marble. Yeah, yeah. And yourself the task of getting three of the rarest marble. Yeah, that... Look... I may know how to play the games, but it doesn't mean I know how to play the games. That said, this game, I think, is the one we came into with me knowing the most about and being the strongest at. For sure. And I really appreciate that after you trounced me in the first game or two, we took the next <laughs> couple of games to yeah. kind of talk through what we were thinking, especially when you identified that I possibly could win, but could not see the yeah. win. Yep. And I think it's probably a good game. Yeah, it it feels like a good game. But. That's a big but. It hurts my brain. Yeah. Not in the good way. I do think that, as you mentioned, if you take the time to learn the patterns, there's probably some satisfaction in it. But I don't know those patterns. And I can't think the sometimes three turns ahead that you have to think if you really want a certain piece, you need to think about the two moves that you're going to force your opponent to take and which discs you're going to remove on your turns too. It's a lot to keep track of. Yeah. And my spatial reasoning just isn't good enough for that. I think it's because the game to me anyway, plays out largely in your head. You look at the board and you sit there and you, and you just calculate everything about, about I need to do this, this, and this, and and you, you stare at the board and then make your one move, and then your opponent, assuming they also know all the patterns and how to and how to get to those patterns, then they play the whole game out in their head. And I know that a lot of abstract games are like that. God knows we all are familiar with like Gary Kasparov sitting there with his head in his hands, and they made an entire Netflix series about a chess prodigy who plays the entire game in her head. But that doesn't make it exciting. It doesn't, for me anyway, I like games that play out a lot more on the table rather than inside your brain. And this Zertz game, I think is one of those games that plays out a lot inside your head. And in fact, I think you mentioned that this game is a first player wins game if two experts are playing, right? 
Uh, yeah, the smaller version of the game, the base version of the game comes with uh, just enough rings to make a board of a certain size. And I think after a while, people got so good at the game that it was determined, I honestly can't remember which one it is, but much like tic-tac-toe, one of the two players will always win if both players play a perfect game. And now, you, again, you could say that about any abstract game that where there's perfect information and no surprises. But I think the amount of time it takes for a savvy player to get from beginner to that level is short enough that the designer came along later and added another 12 rings into the box so you can make an even bigger board and have more room to play around in before, you know, before the waveform starts to collapse and it becomes very apparent who's going to win. Yeah, definitely more space yeah. would add to the variability simply because as the board constantly shrinks, and when you do start to recognize, and I'm using air quotes, the patterns, yeah. what we mean by that is... Waving her cute little fingers. Yeah, exactly. That there are a few arrangements that you start to recognize of the marbles where you know that you can give yourself a certain piece Yeah. Uh, if you force your opponent to take one. So those patterns usually involve closer proximity of marbles. And if there's just more space on the board, then there's more of an opportunity to get other things out there before it condenses to patterns only. Yeah. And I think to me, what happens is it becomes less of a game of moving marbles around on a board and more of a game of two players staring at the thing, twisting and turning the patterns in their brain to try to lock in and be like, aha, I've got her. I win. I win in in five turns. And uh, yeah, it's okay. Here's where it's good, though. Here's where it's fun. If uh-huh. you know the patterns uh-huh. and you have this kind of snotty-nosed person that maybe you're hanging out with at a group gathering and you happen to have these games in your car and <laughs> you feel like uh, maybe flexing your brain a little bit. Is this the story you were going to tell me this earlier? This is the story. I was at a party and there was a friend of a friend who we all kind of knew and we all kind of didn't really like, but we really liked our friend. And we didn't want to hurt their feelings by telling this, you know, you can't bring your friend to our parties anymore. Mm. But that didn't stop me from taking every opportunity I could to just flex on this on this person. So uh, we got to talking about games like chess and that kind of thing. And I mentioned that I had in my car from a, a previous game night or whatever, these games. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I bet you I could bust out this game right here and it, and, and it will it will blow your mind. And like you, I, this was years ago, so I can't quite remember the setup, but we set this game up and I said, would you like to go first? I think, I I think that's what I, 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 you know what? That's how the story is going to (laughs) go. Would you like to go first? And I spent the next 20 minutes just dragging this guy all over the board and leading him all over the place. And he said, "Uh, what is happening? I don't understand. And just like three times in a row, it was a, one of those, what moral victories, (laughs) Uh, where I actually felt smart. And so for that reason, this game actually has kind of a place in my heart. But if I were to be introduced to it today, now, without the history behind it, I probably, my reaction would be like, yeah, but the whole game's in your head. It's not interactive. I don't feel like I'm playing you. Yeah. I'm playing like a ghost of you. I'm playing an AI of you. And uh, I think it's probably going to end up on the lower tier. Yep, I'd say of the three we've played so far, I would put... Oh, this one has a lot going for it, but just as a game. It's just not exciting. I would put Czar at number one, yeah. Gip at number two, and Zerts at number three. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll move on. We'll move on to, we'll move on to Devon. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, now before we go on to the next segment, uh, Laura, I, you're not really in charge of the two most difficult Gmail account, but I just got a message, and it says hello from the year 2574. Mm-hmm. It says hello, 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 uh, hello. We are from the future. <laughs> we are you and Laura from the future. That I mean, that sounds right. Unless Laura is reading this, and in which case we are you and Paul from the future. Uh huh. And and something, oh man. There's just there's like 15 pages of that where they're telling us how they're from the future. Uh huh. They must assume that that past versions of themselves are idiots. But somewhere mm. in here, they they mention that we need to send the dear listener back to episode 17 at this point. I don't know why, uh, because that hasn't happened yet, I suppose. We're getting into time travel stuff that I don't really fully understand. But but dear listener, right now, if you're hearing this, you need to go, apparently go back to episode 17 and finish listening to the rest of that episode before coming back here and listening to this. There's 23 pages of email that is telling you to do this, so I wouldn't argue with our future selves, would you? What's that PS down at the bottom? Uh-huh. Something about, or otherwise, you'll never get to spend time with your husband again because he found his alternate reality self. Huh. That's, uh, I, I guess, if we are venturing to the year 2574, I'm actually really looking forward to uh, having someone to talk to me about board games for a change. <laughs> Go, dear listener. I guess we'll be here when you get back. Uh, Laura. Yes, Paul. Uh, I don't know if you've started checking the two most difficult Gmail account since the last time we talked about it. I prefer to just have you read everything to me. Well, good, because I'm gonna. Because we just got another email from the year 2574 from future us. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know which version of me in the future has written this email. Mm. It just says, Paul, the cool one. And I'm not sure which one that actually is. <laughs> But it does say that uh, the thanks to the actions of our dear listener in listening to these segments in their recorded order, uh, they have now preserved the integrity of the space-time continuum. That sounds good, right? That sounds really good. Now, dear listener, um, I'm going to put myself in your shoes, and you may be wondering, like, what's the reward? Why did I just do all this stuff? Look, he even mentions that in this letter, which is like, now... Past Paul, I know what you may be thinking. You may be thinking, uh, dear listener, I know what you're thinking. You're wondering why you went through and listened to all this stuff. Well, future Paul tells me to tell you, dear listener, that there there really isn't any kind of Easter egg or reward. There's no contest or bonus. The only thing to really keep in mind is that... Saving the space-time continuum is its own reward. Yeah, I think so. And so, dear listener, you get a warm smile, a hearty handshake through uh, the internet from us. Uh, look, if you want to pay for our plane tickets, we'll come out, we'll shake your hand, give you a warm a warm, a warm handshake and a, a hearty wh- smile. I, I don't know, but the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, that's that's it. Like, that. that's what you get, and, um, and you should just be happy with that. Be happy with not having a covetous, lecherous, or murderous version of yourself from an alternate timeline. Uh, wanting to, uh, you know, replace you. <laughs> I mean, it sounds pretty, pretty good not to have that. Yeah, I mean, I Enjoy. can think of, I can think of some times where I'd want to be replaced by a version of me from an alternate timeline. 
but uh, but not not a lot. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say something. <laughs> Sorry. You had a look on your face. All right, dear listener. <laughs> Welcome back to the future. From the past. From the past, and it is now your present. From the past. Right. Which was episode 17. Yeah, which is back then. Mm-hmm. But this is now. It is. Right. Before they got here, it would have been soon, but now it's now. Right, and they've time traveled. So much. <laughs> right, and they've time traveled already a couple of times. Yeah, it's, so. it's such a mess. I don't, I don't get it. But you're done now. But you're done now, you're hopefully, here. I think. If, well, as long as we're all, I'm here. Are you here? I'm here. Great. We are here together to, to talk, talk about, about Devon. 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 Yeah. This is game number four in the GIF Project series. In case you haven't been paying attention, dear listener, we are going over the entire GIF Project, starting with GIF number one, and we are now at GIF number four, also known as Devon. So Devon has, in my opinion, oh. the esteemed position of being number one of the bunch as far as what would actually make a good first name. Fun fact. (laughs) It is a first name. That is one half of the seminal tag team pair, the Dudley Boys. And they're in what sort of media? They are in television sports entertainment media. Oh, Devon. Devon. It is is Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley. Well, we know who got the better end of that stick. They have... uh, at some point, they wore overalls, but I think they ended up with a tie-dye, they got glasses. They like putting people through tables. It's great. <laughs> You're always good for some fun facts. Paul. Every time there's a match with, the, with the, the Dudley boys, there's always tables underneath the wrestling ring. Who keeps putting those there? <laughs> Don't they know what's going to happen? But we are here with Devon, not Devon, and maybe it's time we should actually start talking about the game. Well, then, what you've got here with... Devon yeah. is this same sort of crisscrossing line situation that we've yeah. had in both GIF and Czar. Yeah. This is also technically a hexagon. I ex- guess it is. Yeah. Except uh, the. It's like the, they grabbed one end of it and just went like. Whoop. Yeah. Yep. It's a long <laughs> hexagon yeah. on two sides. Hexalong. Kind of a prism. Let's go with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And then you have all the crisscrossing lines, which we've gotten used to. And you have three different colors of Bakelite. An equal number. <laughs> Clicky clack. <laughs> an equal number of white ones with the black speckles, as you do black ones with white speckles. And then you have three red ones. With both white and black speckles. Yeah, and they're donut shaped. Yep. And now they're a little, uh, little pressed in on the top so they can be stacked easy, easy stacking. Are these the same shapes as the Bakelite pieces and zerts? No. Those are more like, well, no, those, those are this more like. This could hold a marble on top. Yes, but the ones in zerts are kind Concave. of just. Concave. Yeah, they just kind of sit there with the marble on top of okay. it. Okay, yeah, yeah. They don't do any kind of fancy uh, impression or anything like that so these are unique pieces these are unique pieces Mm -hmm. they did not reuse they spared no expense (laughs) in crafting this fine board game so this game really has nothing else going on but the bits that i just mentioned on the board i just mentioned so paul donuts yeah why don't you tell them how it's played so the first thing you'll do is you shake up your bag and you you shotgun those pieces out on the board in a random fashion i think there might be a tournament mode or something like that 
That's how we play it. Where you have to alternate yep. choosing the positions. I Play once the game again, before the game. I'm going to pass on that. Yeah. <laughs> so you can choose to do it that way, but we just shake this bag up and just, and just fill the board randomly. That's going to leave you with a big mess of uh, white pieces, black pieces, and these three red pieces. On your turn, you select a piece of your color that is not surrounded, so going to be on the edge. Mm-hmm. And you are going to move that piece as many spaces as it is tall. So since everything starts off with a one stack height, your first move is going to be just pick up a piece of your color and boop, move it one space. And you can stack it on top of your own. Yep. You can stack it on top of your opponent's. Or you can stack it on top of one of those three red pieces. You can stack it on the red. And so if you, on a future turn, want to move that piece again, now that it's a too high stack, if it still has your disc on top of it, you have to move it two spaces. And so on and so on. You always have to move it as far as it is tall. Now, if there's no piece for it to land on, then you can't move in that direction. Mm -hmm. So as the board shrinks the taller stacks are going to become less and less mobile. Mm -hmm. Now, the final rule here is that every piece on the board, every piece, every stack, everything on the board, needs to be able to trace some kind of path back to one of these three red pieces on the board. Mm -hmm. Now, that red piece can be a part of a stack. It can be in the middle of a big stack with uh, your piece on top of it or whatever. But if any piece or stack can't trace that path, if it becomes isolated separated from the rest of the board, then it is washed away, floats away to sea, disappears forever. So uh, don't let that happen because that is how I lost this last game. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the game, uh, the way the game ends is if nobody can make any more moves. Even if that means you're done and your opponent has like three or four moves they can make. Which happened this last time. Which happened this last time. I also lost a game more recently because you managed to isolate an entire island of my <laughs> yep. single stack pieces over here. So long. Suckers. It was very sad. It was like five pieces wiped out all at once. Yeah. So because the nature of the game is to constantly be stacking things taller and taller for the most part. Yeah, ABS. Yeah, always be stacking. Yep. Now, you might have a few straggler one highs that you've left till the end of the game. I did. Yeah. But for the most part, what's left on the board is stacked some number of pieces high. Yeah. And as you mentioned, because you have to move pieces not only to capture something else, but the number of spaces that the stack is high, things become immovable. Yeah. at some point in the game. And so the game that we just played, we were down to maybe six stacks on the board and a couple of shorter, still movable stacks. But I was able to... Send my big stacks packing. You're able to, to capture something, move it out of the way, and... Woo! I had to sacrifice one of my own ones, too, to do it. Yeah, well, I, I, bet, you, I bet you felt real bad about that. Well, that's the other difficult part of the end game is that if you have a viable move, you have to take it. Yeah. And so the move that I had left was going to isolate some number of stacks. Yep. And I had to choose between capturing a stack of yours or going in another direction that didn't stack up as high, therefore not as many points, but sent fewer of my stacks off to the island. We didn't really talk about how uh, you, you kept oh, scoring. scoring. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about it right now. I, I, you haven't picked up uh, on this by now, dear listener. 
uh, at the end of the game, when you when you realize that nobody can move at all anymore and the board has now locked into place, uh, I take all of my stacks that have one of my pieces on top of it, and Laura takes all the stacks that has one of her pieces on top of it, and you, you <laughs> make two really tall towers out of them. And whoever's tower is taller wins. Is, is the winner. That's it. So this is where the whoop, oh prism shape. Oh yeah, okay. I didn't know what that was. Comes into play. I had fun for a couple of seconds trying to guess what that was. <laughs> this is where the slide whistle comes into play. <laughs> <laughs> because the hexagon is one, two, three, four, five rows. Sure. Wide, let's yeah. say. Yep. From top to bottom, if we're gonna, if we're, yeah, from yeah. me to you across the table. Yeah. It's five, five spaces, five movable spaces, five rows. Yeah. Uh, columns. I'd like to, to just say to the listener, she was holding up four fingers and I was very confused. <laughs> I don't know what was going on. Listen there. to what I mean, not what I. <laughs> not what you're waving around. Flash in front in of my, your face. Yeah. But because it is longer, there are yeah. many more, the opposite of rows, going uh-huh. this way. Columns. Yeah. The problem but was the that the whole I, thing is all on this weird diagonal. I get yeah. what you're saying. I think what you're saying is. The higher stacks need to be more in the center of the prism because then that's going to give them way more runway to, to work their way down the road. Yeah. I mean, that's part of what I was saying is that it, there is this condensing to the center that happens. But yeah. also, as the stacks get taller and taller, the only way they'll be able to move, if they can move at all, is yeah. going to be down the length of the prism and not any longer to the sides. Yeah. That's the, the, the heart of the game is leaving these opportunities for yourself with uh, single pieces all around, but also recognizing when now is a good time to just jump on top of a stack there. If only to work it out so that like, well, I'll grab it and then she'll grab it and then I'll grab it and I will keep it. Or maybe you can jump on it and then move it four spots away away from danger. Uh, hopefully you will be able to move it before someone takes that spot away from you that you will land on. Mm-hmm. A lot of that thinking going on. Yeah, it's a constant calculation of how tall am I making the stack that I'm about to capture and how many options do I have to continue utilizing the stack that I've just made. Now, what does that all add up to or stack up to? In terms of quality of game, what do we think about this game? I like this one okay. For me, it definitely comes in above Zerts. But (laughs) I don't think the problem to solve is as interesting as... She's holding up a two. I think think she's asking me which the second one was. Zar. Accurate as Zar, which is still my number one of the bunch that we've played so far. Yep. Um, And Gipf, I think, still takes place two for me. Okay. I am, I'm in agreement. I think this is a little bit more of an interesting puzzle than maybe you do. Uh, I've never really played a game like it where you really have to take into consideration this balance between leaving yourself options and forming some kind of mega stack that still is able to get that one last move. Mm. It's unfortunately does feel like it's another one of those games where you sit there with your head in your hands and just try to calculate the state of the entire board. Yeah. Uh, And I wonder if that is because it's a shrinking game rather than a building game like Zertz. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It could be. I don't know. That is interesting. That is a shrinking game. So you know what? I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, But that's that's how I feel here is 
the board gets smaller, your options for moving become more and more limited, yet you're still sitting there just, just crunching those numbers up to about the halfway point of the game. And then moves start to become obvious and it becomes rote. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting game. It's an interesting puzzle to solve. I don't think it's near the top of the list for me. So for you, would you put this uh, above GIPF? I think so. so far? I okay. still, I also think that Czar is number one. Yeah. I think uh, I would put this probably right below Tamsk. And then I would probably put Zertz solely for the fun factor of being able to play with people who don't know it. You'd put that in number three yeah, above uh, GIPF? I don't understand GIPF in the slightest. <laughs> At least I understand Zertz. I have no idea what even to try to do in order to win GIPF. Well, all right then. Yeah, these are subject to change, obviously. We'll see. We'll see in the outro where my final list is. But uh, that's enough of this game. Let's move on. Number five is Punkt. Punkt. The year is 2003. You're hanging out, playing some board games, and you're like, oh man, I really, really could uh, really use an, a, an injection of excitement. Something new. Maybe another game in the GIF Project series mm-hmm. by Chris Berm. Your front door flies open. It's been kicked open. Camera <gasps> crew rushes in. Here comes Ashton Kutcher. Okay. Because you've just been punked. Punked, baby. That's oh, man. it. man. I was thinking you might have gone for like a daft punked joke or oh, something. Oh, man. So many opportunities here. Yeah. We're good. Let's try that again. <laughs> the year is sometime in the <laughs> late 90s. Big hit single. It's, uh, it's, it's taken over the charts mm. a duo of frenchmen released their anxious their anxiously awaited follow-up to uh giffen giffen <laughs> across the usa mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <And laughs> keep it up no, don't stop they release uh they release a new song they are daft punked <sighs> i was desperately trying to figure out a way that i can name any song of theirs yeah um, Gipfin across the country, Zarin. They're all verbs. <laughs> Zarin up and down. Maybe you could have said their eponymous song. Oh, their eponymous album. There, yeah. Mm-hmm. Daft Punked. Exactly. There we are. That's it. We have we have tortured this this intro bit long enough. Oof. We're gonna take it out back behind the um. shed <laughs> and put it put it out of all of our misery and just lead right into. Game five of the GIF Project series, punked. Yep. Got an umlaut over the U as the foremost expert of the German language in this house. Uh-huh. Is that punkt or is it like punkt or what? What is Let's it? Let's go with punkt. Punkt? Like a little bit of a liquid U? Beautiful. Great. So the uh, thing that I'd like to add yes. right now okay. is that we are playing on our beautiful new game table. Oh, that's true. Uh, dear listener, in the time... Since uh, we have last spoke to you, which to you is instantaneous, but for us has been three or four days, we have received mm. a brand new table mm-hmm. by Geek and Son. It's beautiful. Yeah. We kickstarted it back in uh, May of last year. 
They did not send it to us for free. We have paid actual dollars, then translate, whoops. I dropped my bake lights. <laughs> we have paid actual dollars translated into actual pounds, British pounds, sterling, I think is what they call it, quid. And finally, this table has got here. It is here. It did try to stick around in Germany. It really wanted to go to Spiele, I think. Yeah, it was hoping so to hang it... out there for the next three months, <laughs> but it only ended up staying around for about eight days and then finally got moving again and made its way here. It's a thing of beauty. Yeah. It is... Wild oak. Yeah, it looks real nice. Yeah. Anyway, we have now... <laughs> That's been a- our review of the <laughs> Bristol Gaming Table by Geek & Son. Thanks for listening. <sighs> this is the first game we've played on this table. It is. Yeah. So let's talk about Punked. Oh, Punked. okay. Punked. What do we there's got? There's a hex. Yeah, there's a hex. Yep. In fact, I'm starting to realize <laughs> that these games may all involve a hex in some form. Maybe. We'll see if it if it pans out that way. But number five in the series, my first reaction was Chinese checkers board. Yeah. It's a hex and it has a bunch of... Well, this one has perforations in it, so... Big, yeah. big punched holes. Yeah. Chinese checkers, not actually made in China. Not actually a Chinese game. It probably is made in China. Oh, that's true. Not actually invented in China, yes. I should say. Yes, yes. <laughs> but this game yeah. is Pro- not... Probably also made in China. Probably. But it's all also nothing like Chinese checkers aside right. from the initial aesthetic. No marbles. No marbles. This one has actually a hex within a hex. There's a oh, yeah. there's a darker green hex in the middle. Kind of like the czar board. Yeah, that's right. And then the rest of it's white. And then, you know, we can see our beautiful felt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Beautiful gray felt right mm-hmm. through it. Right. Uh, then the pieces are the same black with white speckles and white with black speckles of Devon. Yes. But these are in kind of... We've got some shapes. Domino-y shapes. There's straight bars. There's angled bars. There's triangles. And that's it. Yep, that's it. They're all size three. Yeah. Size three puncts. <laughs> well, no, actually, the punct, the titular punct is actually the little dot that's on them. Ah, uh, yes. Each piece has one of its three indentations. Yeah. Colored with a solid, either black or white, depending on which side you're playing. Yeah. And that is the important part of the piece as far as sliding movement is concerned. Yeah. Once you actually get into the game. Yes. What is it? I don't know. Six. Six of each of the shapes, I believe. Yeah. And then the the shapes are subdivided based on where the punct dot Mm -hmm. is. And that's it. That's all you get is you get this perforated board. And you get all these Bakelite pieces. And yeah. that's it. Let's talk about how it's played. Yeah. The object of the game is to connect one side of the hex with the opposite side of the hex. Like Chinese checkers. With a... I've never actually played Chinese checkers, so I just learned something. I didn't mean to sidetrack you. And it's not to connect it, but it's to get all of your pieces from one side to uh, the opposite side. Well, in this game, the object is to connect <laughs> one side of the hex to the other side of the hex. Uh, and you do that, the easiest, most straightforward way to do that is to just put pieces down on the board. Boop, boop, boop. And you just create yourself a little chain all the way from one side to the other. Super easy, except 
you can't place pieces directly in the center in that in that green hex that's in the middle of the board. The only way to get your pieces in the center is by sliding. Sliding which them. Is the other thing you can do on your turn. Yep. Besides the placing of one of your pieces that Paul mentioned. Yeah, if you want to slide a piece, you pick one of your pieces. You have this handy dandy single dot reminder of where the the punct dot is on that piece you want to move. And you can take that piece off the board, put the punct reminder right there. And then you can slide that piece along one of the lines coming out from where your piece was, from where the, the punct piece on that piece was. Mm-hmm. Every dot has, you know... Uh, uh, Three different uh, axes yep. you can slide along. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you get over to the edge of the board, that's going to be a little bit limited around the border. But the vast majority of them are going to let you slide in one of those directions. And that sliding is the only way you can get any of your pieces into that green spot. But here's another cool thing about sliding. If a couple of pieces happen to be next to each other on the same level, like they're both on the board, you can slide your piece and boop, drop them right on top and create a level two. Uh, The only restriction there is that the punct dot of your piece has to still be sitting on one of your pieces you can't put the punk dot on an opponent's piece. You can't just lock down three of your opponent's pieces with one of yours. Right, and yep. you also can't overlap any piece at all. So you can't overlap one of your own pieces. You have to at least cover two pieces with one of your pieces. And what you end up with is this game where people uh, take turns putting their pieces on the board and or sliding them around until eventually someone connects one side of the hex on the board to the other side. Alternately, that never happens, and someone places their final piece on the board, at which point the game immediately ends, and whoever has the most coverage in that green hex in the middle is the winner. Now, with all this stacking going on, you might be saying, well, how do you measure that? Simple. You just stand up and look straight down on top of the board. Doesn't matter how high these stacks are, If you look straight down on top of the board and you draw a two-dimensional line or two-dimensionally count inside that green hex, that's going to be how you measure things. There are 19 holes in the middle there, so it can't be a tie. Well, it could be if one hole is left over. Oh, crap. (laughs) That's it. The broken game. This game's done. But anyway, that's the game. That's punked. Uh, Let's move into the review phase of this segment. I will start. This game is garbage. On we go to game six. (laughs) Yinch. I don't think this game is garbage. Oh, I guess. Okay. We'll keep talking about punked. Well, a few things. Okay. Number one. How can you get fewer than my review? (laughs) That was it. No, I've got a few things that I like about it. Oh, really? Well, do tell. Yeah. Okay. I like the stacking. All right. I do. It's a neat idea. It is a neat idea. I haven't played anything quite like it. Okay. And I like the slidey, rotatey bit as well. Yeah. Similar to some of the other games in the series, there is the skill you develop as you play the game of considering those three axes that your pieces can slide along. Yeah. And I enjoy the consideration you have to apply to not only which like shape piece you're putting down and where you where you put it, but also where you want to orient that punct. 
so that it has maximum slideability. (laughs) Maximum punctitude. Yeah, exactly. So I like that. I think there's some some fun stuff there. It is interesting, I guess, if you know you're going to be sliding a piece to like put it all the way on the other side of the board and hope they don't see it. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's also, for me, part of what's fun is yeah. when you see something that's placed way on the other side of the board in no relation to the <laughs> Don't pay current to this. path that is being made. You're like, well, yeah. let me take a look at what that punct can get to and yeah. like, w- what are you trying to pin of mine, right? Yeah, yep. I think th- those things are fun to me. Uh, I definitely agree with the assessment that I think you were trying to communicate when you said the game is garbage. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Which is that it feels a little bit arbitrary when you're starting. And then you start with this blank canvas and you're just like, I'll put my piece down. You'll put your piece down. And it feels, it feels a little scripted. I, I, I guarantee that some egghead out there has discovered the ideal opening position. Right, the ideal opening move. If so, I would be very curious to know if the ideal opening move is exactly what you did in our most recent oh. game, which is straddling <laughs> yeah. two sides. Yeah. Dear listener, Paul very cleverly started his first play with one of these little elbow pieces that touched two different edges, yeah. which enabled him to have the freedom on the other end of completing his line at two different sides and it became impossible for me to block. He just went straight to the opposite corner and then was able to go (laughs) either way at the end. Yeah. I don't know if that is a good move or not actually, or if we're still just learning the game. I feel like, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if someone said, well, you'd think that's a good move, but actually it sacrifices, you know, push a push into the board. And that's where you want to be is you want to be in the board. No, I'm certain that's why you won. So, okay. Very good. (laughs) Also, I, like the consideration of how can I best pin some of my opponent's pieces? If you get the opportunity to pin two of your opponent's pieces, it's like, <laughs> do it. I'm removing several options from them. You know what else that does is for every piece that you move around of yours, that's a piece that you're not putting on the board. Mm-hmm. That's a piece that you're forcing them to put on the board, which is accelerating the end of the game. And if you can work that, then, then you can get right in there and, and, and squeeze out a victory by, by claiming some spots in the middle and then pinning all your opponent's pieces so that all, they have to just keep playing. Yeah. All this is to say I think these are interesting decisions. Yeah, I don't know. The game just doesn't work for me. I don't know why. It's just not fun. It, maybe it's a good game, I guess, or a smart game, but it's just, to me, not fun. Yeah, the, the big thing that this game lacks that all of – the other games in this series have had is a confined rule set yeah. that this one feels a little bit more open. You can put your pieces anywhere on the board. Yeah. Uh, you can slide them any of these directions. You can choose whether or not to overlap other pieces. You know, there's a lot more variety in what you can do. To me, it feels more like uh, Zertz where you're sitting here playing the whole game in your head, uh, staring at the board because of all the options you have. And like, this is, this is a game where I wouldn't blame you for taking out your phone and like, you know, browsing the web or whatever while your opponent is trying to take their turn. Because if you're both really playing to win, you're going to sit there and stare at that board for a long time, trying to, to build up the movement tree in your head. But unlike Zertz, when you do force your opponent into kind of a check situation yeah, uh, where you know. That's a chess reference for anyone who may have uh, never heard of the game chess. 
So when you are a turn away from completing your path from edge to edge and you have now forced your opponent to focus on blocking you as opposed to completing his or her own path, that is, to me, still leaving you a variety of good options, unlike Zertz, where the whole point is to get your opponent to not have any options at all and to have to do what they're told by yeah, you. Yeah, very right. specifically. That's a compulsory move in Zertz, where yeah. it's like, you must do this thing. Whereas here, it's like, you better do something or right. or you lose, but at least you have some options of what you can do. Yeah. So, you know, when it all comes down to it, I am not a big fan of this game. Laura seems to like it a little oh, better. I mean, no. I, <laughs> no. I am not a fan of this game. I don't want to play it again. Yeah. Uh, I do put it above Zertz Oof, in wow. my list. So okay. for right now, for me, it's yeah. uh, Zar, number one. Yeah. Number two is Gip for me. Okay. Number three is Devon. This comes in at number four. And Zertz, the nasty, nasty. (laughs) The nasty, nasty. (laughs) Oh, boy. Makes me so mad. No, I think for me, it's it's Zar, Devon, Zertz, Gipf, and this. Way after Gipf. Don't like this game at all. Well, great. Let's box it up. Box it up and, and, and get it back on the shelf so that we can pick up our next game. Yinch. Okay, game number six. This would have been the end, but for game number seven that kind of came out of nowhere, which we'll get to in a bit. But for now, here we are, game six, Yinch. Part six of the GIF project by Chris Berm. Yes. So, Yinch. Yinch. Mm-hmm. It's the closest I can think of to maybe being possibly an actual word. I guess I suppose other than czar, which is an actual word. I'm pretty sure punkt is oh. uh, like a decimal point like a, oh. or a period in German. Oh, yeah. I think that's the name for the... Look at this. <laughs> the the high high exemplar of the German language once again comes to the rescue oh, of, gosh. of okay. us and our dear listeners. I'm going to have to look it up to make sure that's true, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Okay. At any rate, it is certainly easier to pronounce than the other ones. Yeah. Yinch. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's give a quick chat about what you get first impressions yeah sort of the mechanics that iterate on previous games what's on the board what's the what's what's the shape of the board well it's another hexagon with corners i mean that's one thing this series definitely has for it is an endless supply of hexagons but what's wrong with this hexagon nothing's wrong with it i was just i was saying that the corners are cut out like the uh it's the same shape of the board as punkt yeah but um, I didn't recognize that at first because uh, I think there's an outline of a hex on the board on punct. But indeed, this... and in and in punct, you're it's just displayed differently with the yeah. with the perforations in the board. Whereas this is back to the classic lines lines going from side to side. So that you... it's a hexagon with every corner taken a chomp out of. Mm-hmm. And this brings back the sliding mechanisms of several of the other games yeah along your lines trajectory lines yep. yep and in this game you have a bunch of small circular pieces that are 
black on one side and white on the other side. Yeah. They have a nice blue speckly enamel rim. And then each player gets five rings that are big enough to fit around those small circle pieces that can be flipped to the black or the white side. And obviously that is by design. And what are the rings made out of? More of that Bakelite stuff. They're yeah. the, either black with white speckles or white with black speckles. Yeah. They're nice. And they make this great sound. Yeah. I feel like somewhere there's just a big nondescript warehouse with just like black letters on a white wall that just says GIP. <laughs> and inside are just giant vats of uh, the stuff they make Bakelite out of. Uh, white with black speckles and black with white speckles. And they just extrude it into molds. Of all different shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Who knows what else they're going to make out of this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) So, Paul, why don't you tell them how it's played now that I've kind of given the quick once over of what's in the box this time. Yeah, this is a game of Connect 5. Uh, It's like Connect 4, but... With 5. 25% better. (laughs) Uh, it's, It's a game about, yeah, trying to line up five of these markers of your color in a row. And the way that works is you start with an empty board and you pick a start player and that person will put uh, a ring down anywhere on the board, uh, anywhere on the, not anywhere on the board, you rules pedant, you, no, I mean at any of the valid play spots where these lines on the hex intersect. Work with me here, you. So you put uh, a ring on a spot on the board and then your opponent will put a ring on the spot on the board. And you go back and forth until each of you have placed your five rings. Now you got an empty board, but for these five rings. And then the start player plays. And on your turn, it's real simple. You pick a ring, and you pick a direction you want that ring to slide, and you slide it in that direction, leaving a little marker of your color behind where your ring was. Whoop! And then slide the ring on down that empty line as far as you want and stop the ring. What if there are some pieces in that line, Paul? Yeah, that's where things start to get a little chaotic. If you jump over any pieces, they get flipped over from black to white or white to black. And you can move all the way down the line and jump a piece that's way over there if you want. Uh, But the catch is that if you jump any pieces at all, you have to immediately stop on the other side of those pieces. You can jump multiple ones if you want in a row. So if if you are way at one end of a line and you see three pieces down at the end of that line, one of them white, two of them black, you can can Tony Hawk grind all the way down there and then jump right over them and flip them. So what did I say? I I can't even remember now. Instead of one white and two black, it flips them over into one black and two white. But then your ring stays on the other side of there. It can't keep going. What if there's a ring in your way oh well then you can't jump over those at all they are infinite walls that shoot infinitely high for infinity so what happens if you get connect five if you get connect five you do a little dance and then you have to remove those five pieces from the board and you have to remove one of your rings from the board Uh aha that drops you down but that puts you one step closer to winning because the winner of the game will be the person who removed three rings from the board Now, it is possible to connect five of your opponent's color on your own turn. (laughs) Don't do that. Not that I'm speaking from experience. But don't do that uh, because your opponent will get to lose a ring. Well, you know what? I'm going to walk that back a little Mm -hmm. bit. That might not be a bad strategy. Especially maybe if you know that they're going to do it anyway and for whatever reason you want to do it on your terms. 
because there's you know rules around if if you create two groups of five at the same time maybe they're intersecting you can only remove one of those groups of five and maybe you're like i would rather my opponent remove this group of five than that group of five or there's probably reasons but by and large don't do that <laughs> uh that's the game am i missing anything nope that's yeah. it you slide around hopping pieces flipping them back and forth from white to black clearing them out when they hit five and that's it so i had an initially positive reaction to this game and i had not played this one with you before was we this had, the first time mm-hmm. nice we dabbled in some some of the other ones over the years we've but, dabbled <laughs> but this is the one definitely that i have not played and I immediately felt an affinity for it because it reminds me of Othello, which yeah. I grew up playing with my brother who was very good at it and usually beat me. But uh, <laughs> I think that game is solved. To be, to be fair to you, I think if, was he always like, would you like to go second? No, <laughs> oh, okay. not at all. And it's not like he always won, oh, but okay. just most of the time. But I like this flipping mechanism. Yeah. And I like that part of the calculation you're making because it's, it's rare like in Othello, when you flip a row, it has to be all of your opponent's color. And if it's chippy in the middle, yeah. broken up by one of your color, then you can't you can't flip the whole row. Yeah. But in this, when you jump over a row, it can be any combination of colors. And what that means is part of the assessment that you're making is what improved positioning am I also giving my opponent as I make this jump? Because you are always thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like oh boy i really want to do that it looks like a good idea it's probably a bad idea right but that one in the middle there that i'm giving her i can mm. make it work uh yeah yeah i like that i like that about this i also like all of the gift games really enjoy that there's an ebb and flow as the game goes on of advantage and disadvantage because as you might, as you mentioned, progress toward the win of getting yeah. three of the rings, you're also having to remove one of your rings from the board, which means you have fewer options for play. And that can get really tricky, especially when the board is getting kind of full. You can get actually locked in. Yeah. In fact, I would say that locking your opponent in is, <laughs> is a chief strategy is part of the strategy if you're able yeah. to yeah yeah you can manipulate those rings around and and stop your opponent from from getting where they need to get in order to stop you right or sit on the opposite side of a really yep. tempting yeah. row that you know they would just love to flip and just have one of your rings chill in there so you know they can't jump it now anyone who knows me uh which is very few because i am an unknowable entity i'm mm-hmm. an enigma that's what everyone says you're you're so reserved and <laughs> i keep it to myself yep. <laughs> i keep play it close to the vest i wear like five vests so you don't even know which vest i'm keeping it close to he's like an onion of vests okay be wearing any more vests uh this game is one of the few games where when i see that my opponent has made a particularly devastating move to me I still have to fight it, but I'm a lot more willing and able to say, I'm going to let this one play out. In my heart, I'm flipping the table. <laughs> but in my brain, I'm like, ah, yeah, but, but they just made themselves weaker. And that's an advantage for me. And most of these games, I think, have a little bit of that. The catch-up mechanism. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, by winning the game, you're making yourself weaker to give your opponent a chance to catch up. I think this is the game where... To me, it feels the most realized because out of out of your five rings, losing one sucks. It's Agreed. bad. And losing two 
is is you're just like what are you gonna do? You've got you've got five, four, three rings, and I've got did I just have to do math there? <laughs> We're tossing these numbers around, and I've just I I can't keep up. You're down to three rings. I've still got all five of mine. I'll just run around all day and just drop stuff everywhere for hopefully me to then come along and flip later and catch up. Right. Meanwhile, if I've got only three, I really have to be hyper-focused on my immediate plan because I have very little flexibility with those three, and especially if one is pinned in or something like that. They even say in the rule book, in bold, like the only one that matters is your third. You know, you don't, it doesn't matter just like in, you know, like a fighting game or whatever, right? The only thing that matters is if your health is greater than zero. Uh, and you can, you can apply that to all kinds of games. I will not list all of them here because this segment is hopefully only going to be 15 minutes long, <laughs> but that really comes through of all the games we've played so far. That really comes through to me here. So I think with that, let's get some rankings so we can move on. What do you think? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. Why don't you go first? Oh, me first. Yeah. Okay. So I would still put Czar first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Something about it just feels more accessible and like it's um, I'm more able to know what I'm doing. But Yinch is is right behind it. I think Yinch is just as good a game as Czar. Uh, and I would not blame anybody if they felt that it was better or that they enjoyed it more. Czar, Yinch, Dvon... Oh, Zertz, because I still just have fun, you know, jumping people all over the place. Uh, Gipf and Punked. Now, Gipf, I'm willing to concede that maybe it could go up if I ever actually learn how to how play, to play it. it. Yeah. But that's what it is. Uh, Zar and Yinch, most important, top of this list for me. Yinch is, is like right a very close second behind Zar. So that's funny because I actually put this one as my number one. Oh wow. With Czar as a very close second. Great. And I was gonna have them tie spots, but then I thought, you know, honestly, if I thought about how much more I was looking forward to another game of it, if that's my litmus test, yeah. I would be more excited about another game of this than I would be about another game of Czar. Yeah. But I like them both. They're they're very good games. Yes. Very excellent games. If you write as of right now, if you were to only buy, you know, one or two, those two would be you couldn't go wrong with them. Agreed. Yeah. So then that puts me at Yinch first, and then the rest of the list is the same. Yeah. Uh, close second for... So go back and listen to the previous segment so you can remember. No, I think I still know. Oh, okay. I mean, I might have to eat my own words here when <laughs> you review it. it. You're like, actually, you changed your list twice. Yeah. Um, I think what I have is uh, number one, Yinch. Yeah. Yay. Number Yay. two, close second, Czar. Okay. Then for me, it's Gip, followed by Devon, followed by... I think I put punked before yeah, Zertz. No, you hate Zertz. You it's don't so like bad. it at all. I really don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Yeah. Ah, I hate being told what to do. So now we're going to move in to number seven. Lucky number seven, Link. It was a surprise game. And we're going to review it right now. Laura, 15 years ago, you and I sat down on this journey to, to, <laughs> to make play it, all the gift games, to make it through all the gift games. Mm. And here we are, older, much older, empty wiser, nesters. Empty, yeah. <laughs> our, our daughter has uh, emancipated herself from us and with good reason too, because she had parents 
who just couldn't stop playing these games and paid no attention to her. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, how is she doing these days? Has she graduated <laughs> from anything? I have no idea. But it's been all worth it. We are here. Game number seven, Link, GIF Project, Chris Berm, Board Games. This is this is it. This is the big one. This is the final one, the finale. It says here in the rule book mm-hmm. that although the GIF Project was initially going to consist of six games, Link is the seventh title in the series and acts as a synthesis, a synthesis, a synthesis of the project. Gip might be the epicenter, but Link is the umbrella game. It brings all the games together in one nice, tidy little package. All right. Before I even respond to that self-assessment of what this game is. (laughs) Sure. Let's talk about what we've got going on here. Yeah. It is a hex with some extra pointy bits. Yeah. It's like a Star of David on top of a hex. So It's like a mutant hex. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Snowflake, sort of. Uh, snow. That's you know what? That's exactly what it is. It's a snowflake, uh, and then the usual pointy, crisscrossy lines all over the place, making little vertices. And then what they give you in the game are some white speckled pieces, pieces that are black speckled with white, and then something that you don't really see much of in this series: colors. Yep. So you've got some. Red, green, blue, yep. and then you have what they refer to as white modeled uh, in the rules. But I call it Oreo cookies and cream. Yeah. This is a lot going on, but the idea is that you put them out on the board and you move around and you play the game and hope that you win. So <laughs> that's it. There, there you, you go. go. That's it. That's the rules. Let's talk about our feelings now. Yeah. Uh, the setup is supposed to be random in this one right yep it is they they say in the book randomize whereas uh devon and czar have the option of yeah having this setup be part Playing of the, the game, game the game before the game yeah, yeah but this one is just supposed to be random so yep. you have eight each of all of those colors with the exception of the Oreo. white modeled oreo cookies and cream, cookies and cream one <laughs> which is There's just three of them three only mm-hmm and then you have an extra one of each color. So technically there's a ninth, but those aren't played with. They're not part of setup. They are kept off to the side yep. for reasons you'll see in a second. Mm-hmm. So that's how you set up the board. Every intersection is covered with one of these, I guess, six total kinds of pieces. Yep. Shake them all up, pull them out of the bag, put it out on the board randomly. Yeah. And there are certainly some concepts from the other games that are pulled in here. So Concepts each- are plenty. They got all kinds of concepts. Oh, yeah. You well- want concepts? We got them. (laughs) So each turn, you will capture another piece stack. And by capture, I mean simply just stack on top of it. Yep. Take a piece, go boop, put it right on top of another piece. Yep. That's a a stack. That's a capture. The rule is you can't capture something that is already represented color-wise in your stack. Yeah. And the... So a red can't jump on another red. If a red jumps on a blue... That red-blue stack can't jump on another red or another blue. Right. In fact, the way that you get points, and the only way that you get points, is by creating stacks of different colors and having your color piece on the top. But wait, what's your color piece? Ooh, that's one of the fun things in this game. Yeah. What is my color piece? It depends on whatever you want it to be. Yeah. So in the beginning of the game, no colors are assigned. 
And at the top of your turn, you optionally can claim one of the colors as your color before taking your turn. That's you can, mine. That's my red. You can only do this twice. Yes. And there are five colors. Nobody can claim the black and white modeled Oreo ones because they are the wilds. Yeah. I think the rule book calls them the jokers. Jokers. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The smokers. Mm-hmm. Midnight. Al Rokers. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Aside from the rule about having to stack on top of only colors that aren't currently present in the stack. Yeah. You also can only move stacks that are your color or an unclaimed color. That's right. So once four of the five colors have been chosen because each player can only claim two, you only have three different colors that you can even consider yours to play on the board anymore. So I've claimed green. I've claimed white. You've claimed black and you've claimed blue. That leaves red as the neutral color. Mm -hmm. So either player can move a neutral. However, more, more, more rules. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing I want to say before diving into the other stacking rule here about height. Yes. Is that the movement for stacking works on the same principle as czar. And... What's the other one that has this slide all the way down the row? Yinch lets you slide all the way oh, down yeah, if you want. Yinch. So it, it operates with some of the same previous principles about if you have a clear runway ahead of you yeah. uh, in one of the directions, you can go all the way to the next first stop. I think we called that, that uh, Tony Hawk grinding in the last one. You just grind all the way down there. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Next, if the stack that you are moving yeah. is topped with one of your already claimed colors, the size of the stack doesn't matter. Yeah, your size doesn't sizes don't matter. You can your stack can jump on some other stack. Doesn't matter if it's bigger or smaller or whatever. But but if the piece you're moving or the stack you're moving is neutral, then you can only jump on top of pieces or stacks that are the same size as the thing you're moving or smaller. Or smaller. So if you're moving a single neutral piece, it can only jump on top of another single piece. If you're moving a stack of like 3 that has a neutral piece on top of it, it can jump onto another stack of two or a single piece, but you can't jump on something taller with a neutral piece. Mm-hmm. And then that is, I think, all of the rules of the game. Yeah. With the goal being to create these stacks of five. If you create a stack of five and your piece is on the top of the stack, then... Get it. At, ooh. <laughs> Just drop it on the table right there. Then get it out of here. You get That's it right. out of here, pull it off the board, put that off to the side, and uh, the game will just keep going until nobody can make moves anymore. If we get to the point where you can't make any moves, but your opponent can, they can keep making moves. And then if that frees you up to be able to make moves again, great, you're back in the game. But eventually, the board will coalesce, and nobody will be able to make any moves anymore. Neutral stacks will stay on the board. Even if it's a stack of five, if it's got a neutral piece on top of it, stays on the board. Mm-hmm. It's an obstacle. It just gets in the way. That's that's it. Once the game is over, everyone counts the number of uh, five stacks that they have, and whoever has the most wins. If there's a tie, whoever has the most four stacks left on the board is the winner. And so on and so forth down the line. All the way down the line, and chances are you'll break a tie there somewhere. But if not, then it's a shared victory, and we all win, <laughs> and we all get to have pie. Oh, one more rule, actually, is which I forgot pie? about. Because I got lots no. of I got lots of pie rules. 
It's about punct. Oh. It's about the the rule that is supposed to be inspired by punct. Okay. Is that if you have in your, I'm going to say line of sight. Sure. Like in your Tony Hawk. Grinding. Grinding. Yeah, see, now you're getting it. Right, alley yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, you can basically go around a corner, I guess. Oh, yeah. Or that's, change directions. That's the whole reason the game is called Link. I can't believe we almost forgot this. If you have a piece of your color that you're moving, a piece or a stack, and you have a direct line of sight to another piece or stack with of, your the, co- same. of the same color mm-hmm. of the one that you're moving. So if I have a blue, a piece or a stack, and I control blue, and I have a line of sight to another blue, I can head towards that other blue piece and then bounce off of that Mario style. Waha! Off on to another direction if I want. Right, so any of the paths radiating out from that piece that you're bouncing off of you can take any of those yep. to kind of redirect your slide yep. and you can do, do that, that as, as many times as you continue to have a path that yeah way. you can't use the same piece twice so you can't kick off some kind of infinite you know mario bounce but other than that that's how you're going to be able to get around the board if your direct lines are empty or full of stuff that you don't need you can keep an eye out for ways that you can bounce off of uh, other colors of yours. Yeah. I think that's everything. Is that everything? That's it. Yeah. This is, uh, I think it's the most involved of the games. I think it has the most rules. Yeah. You know, the, the rest of them are pretty simple. This one has a lot of, comparatively, a lot of, if it's this, then do that. But if your piece that you're moving is this, then it can't do that. But it all kind of locks into place. It makes sense, right? Neutral pieces are not as strong as pieces that are in colors that you control. So you can still move them around and stuff, but really, ultimately, you're going to want to control two colors in order to get the board in the state that you want it. Yeah, although I will say you were very clever in one of our games to... No, say that again. Nope. So I just want to hear you say it again. Mm. Replay it then. <laughs> okay. You were very clever in one of our games to... No, say that again. Nope. When you held off on choosing your second color until there was an opportunity to yeah. take a whole stack. Yeah. So there were two options up here for you. I had already chosen my two colors. So you had one that could be yours and one that would be neutral. And you waited until there was this perfect positioning of a four-part stack, and you just picked the color that could bounce on top of that four-part stack and have it be yours. It was very clever. Yeah. So there's a little bit of, as with all of these games, uh, a timing consideration for when you choose what colors you want. Yeah. Yep. It. I, I feel like just claiming colors right away is probably not the best idea until it is. You never know with these kinds of games. But yeah, all kinds of strategic possibilities and um, some pretty interesting decisions to make uh, mm-hmm. in the first half of the game. There is a little bit of each game represented in here, and they're not kidding. I disagree. Except for one, I don't really feel a lot of gif. I don't feel a lot of zerts. I oh, don't feel a lot of zerts. The board is shrinking. There's no jumping. There's no jumping. Players are not colors. They, uh, just like in zerts, you're not a color, you're collecting colors. Uh, and in this, you kind of aren't a color until later in the game. And then at that point, you settle on what colors you are, but you're still collecting colors. Mm. Mm. 
okay, fine. There's definitely Czar. Definitely some Czar. Definitely some Devon. Where you, a little bit of Devon. Yeah, you can't land on empty spots. And with the wilds, I suppose, yep. which are similar to the red ones that you would nestle in, I, I guess. I, uh, the, I, there's not a whole lot of punct. There's no. The, there's, no, I, there's the stacking part of punct, but like stacking is in everything. I think it is dishonest <laughs> to, to say that this brings together concepts from all six other games. Okay. And. I know. I, I, I started this small exchange with the assertion that it did but i think you're right i mean it has bakelite it that is true and it's (laughs) common amongst all the games so there you go that's all you need i get it i think it's supposed to be an attempt to bring it all together they even mentioned in the rule book that the different colors of pieces are supposed to be representative of the different games in the series and thank goodness because when you read that we sat down to play it i thought oh no each one of these pieces is going to move in a totally different way based on the game it's supposed to cover oh, nope man. they be, all move the that'd same be fun that'd be interesting e. E. uh but that that's the game we have is this game of trying to capture these stacks of colors on an ever shrinking board with more and more limited opportunities until eventually no one can do anything and and the heat death of the universe comes along and the game ends and we compare our five stacks what do you think? It's okay. Okay. It's all right. Well, it's colorful. It's it has colorful. That. That, that's nice. I like some things about it. I like how as a defensive move, yeah. you can create stacks that can be unabsorbable by your opponents. Yeah taller towers. Like if I see that you just need a blue in one of your stacks and I target the blues that are most readily accessible to you and just make them into two simply into two stacks. Yeah. Then you can't nothing you can do. Take them. So I like some of the defensive play in this. I don't like the way that you create a bunch of islands <laughs> at the end. And yeah. part of the end game is figuring out how to isolate everything so that your opponent literally doesn't have moves. Yeah, I think that's a little bit uh, Devon-esque and a little bit Mm Czar-esque where you're just trying to shrink the board so there's nowhere else to go. As opposed to a game like Yinch or Gip that's additive to the board at all times. Yeah, and something else that I... I'm not sure if it would make me like it more or less, to be Mm -hmm. honest, but part of what I feel as a new player I'm missing in this that I would probably start to pick up on with more play is that... Because you can only move to a spot that has another piece, as soon as you abandon a spot, that spot will never be full again. So part of what I think a very smart and seasoned player could do potentially in seeing an initial game setup is identify where opportunities for five stacks actually exist. Like maybe you could look at it and be like, well, that piece literally cannot be made into a five stack or or to be able to understand at what point in the game five stacks become impossible for different positions yeah i was trying to to see that in my brain Uh, at the end of the last game we were playing i was looking at it and i was thinking are five stacks even possible anymore it doesn't look like it i think she's gonna get one so that's gonna put us at two maybe we start counting the four the four stacks and then we start counting the three stacks And I think that is my biggest problem with this game Mm -hmm. is that the end feels a little anticlimactic to me. Yeah. It it feels like you can see the end coming from a long distance away. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's, you know, some games are just like that. Chess is like that, right? Someone will stand up and say, I concede. 
and you look at the board and you say, I have no idea why they're conceding. <laughs> and then someone next to you is like, oh, well, that's that's because he's doing the Rickenbacker maneuver and that means the game's over in eight moves. And uh, okay, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but there's there's definitely that feeling here where you look at the board and you say, I unless I'm missing something, I think that's it. I've got three five stacks and you know Laura's got one and I don't think there's any way like that. I guess that's it. I guess that's it. We said that a lot was, I guess that's yeah. it. Other games in this series are more exciting. You know, Yinch is more exciting. Czar is more exciting. You know what? And sometimes Zertz is more exciting. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, but look, I think this game would benefit from a lot more plays than mm-hmm. we gave it for this segment. Agreed. We, you know, the, the first six games I've played a bunch this is by far the newest one to me. I haven't plumbed the strategic depths of any of these, <laughs> but I've spent enough time thinking about them, understanding how a smart person could win the game. I just know that I couldn't do it. I'd be too. I'd be real hasty if I just dismissed this game as like some kind of, you know, half baked amalgamation. Mm. Um, I wish he hadn't presented it as a fully baked amalgamation, but you know that's that's his prerogative. He's a He's a mysterious dude. I don't know much about Chris Berm. Uh, But this game, I think, is, I don't know, it feels a little bit to me in design and in artistic presentation as a love letter to the series. Um, They even say in the rule book, if I didn't already say it, an epilogue, like as a fond farewell to the series. I think that's suitable. Now, if he comes out with eight and it's, you know, (laughs) and it's called like Moimph. And and it has to do with uh, destroying stacks instead of making stacks or something. You know, then I'll just be like, Chris, what are you doing? Your your six game project is rapidly becoming inaccurately named. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I think for me, all of this fanfare of it being an amalgamation of what has come before it is a little bit of a like. I wish I could make that sound that a balloon makes when it's deflating. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that. Like, <laughs> it's fine. For me, in my list, I believe I would put it, let's see, let me think about this. I still, obviously, Yinch number number one for me still yeah. with Zar as a close second. Okay. Um, I think this one comes in for me, definitely after Gip too. Okay. Now, it's neck and neck with Devon okay. for me. If I had to put an order to it. I think that I prefer this to Devon. So then Link, then Devon for yep. me, followed by Punct. Followed by <laughs> followed by infinite gap of nothingness. Uh, and followed inserts. by the game that Paul <laughs> makes Laura do things. <laughs> uh, for me, we're going to go Czar, Yinch. We're going to go, I think I'm going to put this above Devon as well. Mm. Uh, but Devon... Uh, Devon is, is weird enough to be close enough to want to overtake Link. Mm-hmm. I say uh, Zar, Yinch, and Link because uh, they're the ones I understand the most. Uh, Zertz uh, for the aforementioned forcing Laura to do things. <laughs> uh, and then Gip uh, because, you know, I, I really want to like it and I want to understand it, but I don't think I ever will. And then Punked because it's garbage. It's just <sighs> not fun. It's dry as a bone and not fun. The... Strategic possibilities are just too wide open, and it's the kind of game that you would pit a computer against another computer if you were trying to prevent World War III. <laughs> that's in my brain. That's how I feel. That's it. Seven games in the series. 
we've got one last thing to do. Oh. And that is to go back to the original GIF. Back in time? No. We've done enough of that. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm going to go back to the shelf. We're going to grab GIF. And we are going to play uh, some games of GIP with the GIP Potentials, Ooh. which is, uh, I guess, kind of pretentious board game speak for uh, the expansions, the little mini expansions mm. uh, that add a little bit of flavor, a little bit of sauce of uh, some of the other games in the series to GIP. We're going to do that, and then uh, we'll come back in another, I don't know, three or four years uh, to give you our thoughts. Well, we did it. Seven games down, done. Good. So we're done. Nope. Not even close. What? Well, maybe close. Yeah. We here at the two most difficult. Paul, what's in that bag? We are nothing if not completionists. Paul, what's in the bag? And what I have here in this bag is a collection of a bunch of cool pieces. Oh, goody. And they allow us. (laughs) To have the potential to have even more fun with the game that is, at best, halfway up our tier list. <laughs> right. A game that is half fun. Yeah. <laughs> now has more. Now has more fun. And if you double the amount of fun on your halfway fun list, then we're going to have 75% more fun. <laughs> That's how it works. These are the GIP potentials. Uh, I don't know if they are widely available now. I don't think so. They pop up occasionally. Uh, people trade them, people sell them. You might see them on Amazon or eBay every now and then. Possibly not even real, actual, legit copies. But I'll tell you what, you can just make your own if you want because it's not like they're like playing cards where you need to, you know, you need to have hidden. What you could do is you mm. could, you know, you could find some pieces, some other kinds of things, doodads, mark them and say, these are potentials. What potential set are we playing with? We're playing with the Zertz potentials. You know, and I don't know, they could be pennies. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Now, that's an excellent point. Yeah. However, if you're the sort who really likes the satisfaction of settling (laughs) a perfectly fitted piece into the grooves of the piece beneath it. Yes. You're going to be paying a lot of money for these, probably. (laughs) So get out your wallet. All right. Let's talk about them. So they are fun little additions to the game. Uh, There's all kinds of different ways to play with them. They the rule book offers three or four different variations. You know, you could play with all of them. You could play with some of them. You could play with six of them when you know play with three of them. Here's how we have decided how to play, because it seems to work the best for us. You set up your GIP board the way you normally do. Each player has three of their double stack pieces in a alternating ring around the perimeter of the hex, mm-hmm. and then you decide which potential are we going to play with, and you also decide how many of that potential. Now, the rules allow you to do up to six. That's just too many. We play with three. At least that's what we've done here. True. Now, we're not going to tell you what to do. We're not going to kick down your door. If you want us to kick down your door, send, send your, us address. your address. Yeah, to <laughs> two most difficult at gmail.com. We the will whole? send you a waiver and, and have you sign it. Perfect. We cannot be held responsible Perfect. for property damage. Mm-hmm. They were asking Look, for The it. lawyers really needed us to say that. So now that the lawyers <sighs> have left... Because they kicked down our door. And now that they have left, continue with what you were going to say. I was simply going to say that we're choosing to play with 
three, the yeah. minimum number recommended. Yeah. And to isolate one at a time, uh, one type of potential at a yeah. time, so that we can really get to understand how those pieces change the game. Let me tell you about the most ridiculous way to do it is to play, <laughs> oh man, is to play GIP with uh, a certain number of all of the potentials. Like, let's say we play with, well, let's say we play with six potentials. I can choose to play with one of, of, a, of potential A and two of potential B, and I can spread that out however I want. You can spread that out however you want. And, and we could just have this big mix. And if you really want to go even a level deeper, anytime you want to use the potential, you have to stop what you're doing and go play a game of the game <laughs> that the potential came from. I'm going to use the Devon potential. Stop what you're doing. Go play a game of Devon. And if you win, then you get to use the potential. Otherwise, you're neutralized. You don't get to do it, and you have to make another move. We're not doing any of that. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Veto. No. Done. No. Decided. <laughs> so that's, that's to, to summarize, because, boy... That was a lot of talking. To summarize, we are playing with three copies of the potential, and according to the rules, those are the first three pieces you have to push onto the board. And then after that, you just play with basic pieces. If those loaded pieces, which is what they call them, the ones with the potentials on them, if those loaded pieces are part of a row of four, then you can leave them on the board, just like your double stack. And the only catch is if it's part of a row of four of nothing but loaded pieces and double stacks. Then you got to get rid of one of those things. You can't just leave that on the board forever. Um, so that's the considerations we've made. None of this really matters, but you know, in the interest of giving you full <laughs> completion, yeah, full rules. disclosure. In case you had any questions about this, yeah, that's really <laughs> all it is. Is just there are three extra pieces. The way we play it, three extra pieces you shove onto the board as your first three moves, and then you just play the game as normal. All right, here, here we, go. we go. First one. Micro segment number one, Tamsk Potential. It's called the Tamsk Potential because it came out when Tamsk came out. And then they didn't bother renaming it. They didn't bother <laughs> changing it or anything. The Potential looks a little bit like a czar piece, but it is the Tamsk Potential. It's a bullseye. It's a bull, yeah. So the idea with the Tamsk Potential is if you get a loaded piece into the center of the board, you immediately get a free move. Yeah, it's like if you put the bullseye in the center of the bullseye, then bullseye. You, then bullseye. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even if your opponent pushes your piece into the center of the table. Double you, turns for you. Double turn for you. You take that free move before you take your actual move. Once you take that free move, uh, that loaded piece, the one that's on top, is the one you make the move with. So you'll push that piece into the board. But if that piece ever gets taken off the board, it's Whoop, gone, gone forever. Gone forever. Uh, that's it. That's the free move. And boy, right off the bat, it changes the game. It does. I I like it. I think it's not a complicated yeah. addition, and it's real nice to be able to take two turns. I will observe from this game that we just played now yeah. that you didn't get any of yours into the middle, and yet you still won. <laughs> so I don't know if we can say that it is a game changer. Yeah, it's not overpowered because like you used almost all of yours. I used two of mine, yeah. and it did not help me. <laughs> well, look, it's not your fault. This is a hard game. It's <laughs> a rough game. 
Uh, but it is definitely made more interesting right off the bat with the ability to take a second turn. I agree. Yeah. Thumbs up if you can get your hands on this one. Uh, onward to the next one. Micro segment number two. This is the Zert's Potential. It's got three little notches. Looks like a normal gip piece, but it has three little notches. It's like an ashtray. Oh, yeah. Man, you're very good. It's an ashtray. Yep. And like an ashtray, uh, it allows you to jump over adjacent pieces. Exactly. We put enough time, we could probably figure out how those two things are connected. But that's what this thing does. You don't have to push it in the center or anything. You just jump it over an adjacent piece if if it's next to something. And it, it can go all the way down. If, if there's another piece after that, another piece after that, it can jump over an entire line of pieces. Uh, but then it has to stop at the first empty spot. Empty spot. So uh, if there's like, if there's the, the, the Zert's potential and an adjacent piece and then an empty space and another adjacent piece, it's got to stop in that empty space between those two. Can't just send it all the way down the line. Right. And that's it. Yep. So what's that do for you? Well, it lets you jump. Yeah, effectively. And also gives you <laughs> an extra move without needing to put something on the board. Uh. So I don't know that I would quite describe it that way. It's not, I mean, it is an extra move in the sense that you don't have to use one of your pieces. So yeah. it stalls your countdown of your pieces. Yep. But it's not like you get to effectively cover two spots with one turn. No, that's It's still right. just adding one spot. It lets you cover a spot without having to spend a piece from your reserve. Yeah. And it gives you access to cover a spot that may not be accessible. Right. You would have to push in over the course of two or three turns to get there. Right. But if you approach it from the opposite side, you can jump and make yourself a, a group of four pretty easily. Yeah. It definitely makes groups of two more threatening from yeah. your opponent because if one of the ones in that group of two has the Zert's potential on it, yeah. then that can be then that can become a a four a real four quick real quick yeah exactly it is not as immediately game changing as being able to grant yourself an extra turn if you get a potential in the middle like the last one true i would say it's it's more about the potential yeah right it makes it makes the gameplay a little bit different not because you're specifically angling to use the jump necessarily yeah. but because the threat of the jump means you have to play differently. Yeah, definitely its presence is felt. Mm -hmm. It's not as immediately apparent how useful it is um, until it is. And then you're like, yeah. aha, jump. And maybe you jump over a couple of opposing pieces to make um, a row of four in a different direction. Yeah. Something like that. I think in this last game, you used a jump to snag one of my pieces. Just I, you know, I was setting something up better and... There you go, removing not only one of my pieces, but one of my pieces that was part of my good setup. Yeah. Uh, it was it was uh, an interesting experience. I still think I like the usefulness and the immediate impactfulness of the Tamsk potential, giving mm -hmm. you an extra turn. Yeah. But this one's cute. I think it favors a little bit more defensive play, possibly. Sure. I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Micro segment number two done. <laughs> Next is uh, the Devon the Devon Potential. Micro segment. Devon. They're shaped like little donuts. Yep. And they go right on top of your GIF pieces. They sure do. How do they work? Nobody knows. 
Well, actually, we do know. Actually. Chris Berm knows, and he put it in a rule book for us. Uh, the way these pieces work is you load them up, you push them around just like other potentials. But uh, on your turn, instead of putting a piece into play, you can just take one of these donuts that's uh, on one of your pieces and just donut someone else's piece. Don't just dunk on them. Just yeah. just go kaboom, and just land right on them. The only one it can't go on is your is your double stacked gift piece. The ones that if you lose all of them, the game is over. And the ones that stay on those those ones that stay on the board. But it can land on another potential. You can even double yeah. stack potentials. Yeah, you can double stack. So I can jump on one of your donuts, mm-hmm. and then you can jump on one of my. Well, let's see here. You can make a donut sandwich. I don't feel like drilling into the rule book, but it gets, yes, you can make a donut sandwich. I don't know if you could make like a triple decker donut sandwich, and I don't feel like looking in the rules. The idea is that you can can turn temporarily one of your opponent's pieces into your own. And I say temporarily because when that is now part of a, a group of four, or if it gets captured, if it gets removed from the board for any reason. Whatever it is on top of will remain. Yep, stays right there. So yep. it's just a little little temporary. It's not like a, a super dunk, just a temporary dunk. Yeah, I believe you described this rule as this mine now. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, it mine. So what do we think of this one? Uh, man, it is... Like the last one we mentioned, just the threat of having it happen is is enough, especially when you forget that it's there. Yeah. And your wife goes, this mine now. <laughs> and and goes jumpy jumpy right on top of me and causes you to almost concede the game. Cause you're like, whoa boy, that was a devastating move. It took out a lot of my stuff. But the fun thing about it is that as you mentioned, whatever is underneath yeah. remains. Yep. So even though that was mine now. Yeah. As soon as I did that dunk and had to remove the piece, yeah. you still had that excellent position on the board. It was, yeah, no longer yours now. Back to mine now. Yep. And it would set me up for a future capture. I think it's a fun one. Yeah. I think it's nice. And it comes in the set. Now, I've had these for a long time, and I I, you know, I have this here listed as set two, which is the the Zertz and the Devon one. The, this one and the last one we just talked about. Hmm. Those are released i believe as a set so i don't know if they're still published right now uh but but if they are then you can get these two fun ones i think they're 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 fun enough i think the the two of them combined in a single set i think that's worth picking up for a reasonable price especially if you already like gif yeah especially if you are definitely if you already like GIF, don't buy them <laughs> if you don't have GIF. Right. If you think it's going to save GIF for you or if you don't have GIF, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do that. But that's it. That's the Jumpin' Donuts. I think I like it a little bit better than the Zertz one, than the last one we did. Uh, it's not as impactful, again, as, as being able to take a second turn. But uh, I think, I think it's, it's pretty solid. Agreed. Onward. All right, well, here we are. Give potential, set number three. This is uh, number five and number six. We're close to the end of all things GIF. We are going to now play with... The Yinch potential. Which is actually based on the sixth game in the series and should be the sixth potential, but it is not. The rule book tells us if we follow it in order, we play with the Yinch potential first. Because that's the one that's listed in the rulebook first. Sidebar. Oh, sidebar. Okay. 
Dear listener, but, I need you to to put on some white noise or something. Here we go. But GIF is the first game in the series. Yeah. And we didn't play with the GIF potential. That's because this double stack that we talked about, that is the GIF potential. But that's why they give you extra extra normal pieces so that you could play with up to six normal pieces because that is the GIF potential. <sighs> so, all right, dear listener, welcome back. We're motioning to you to come back to listen. You can take off your earmuffs now. Yeah, there we go. That's it. Now, yes, that's why we were wildly gesticulating <laughs> for you to come back here and listen to us. So, uh, even though Yinch is the uh, sixth game in the series, it is the fifth potential that we are playing with because, hey, the rules are the rules, and that's the rule book. Who knows? Someone somewhere out there knows if their graphic design, if their layout of the rule book was in error. But, but we are nothing if not slaves to the printed word when it comes to board games. So we start with the Yinch potential. And the Yinch potential allows you to do more Tony Hawk grinding in a straight line. So you got your loaded piece that you've brought on and you want to you wanna grind down one of the, your straight lines to an empty spot, done. The only problem is you can't jump over anything. Can't jump. Have to stop as soon as you hit another piece. Yep. So you can either jump to get to that straight line or can you jump at the end of that straight line? No. That's no jumping. Way. It never, never shall it leave the ground. Yep. And the piece itself is. Oh, yeah. It looks like a power button. It does look like a, it's exactly a power button. Yeah. It's yeah. like a, it's mm-hmm. like a circle with a line coming out of it that doesn't cross all the way through. Yep. Power button. All right. So first impressions of this piece. Uh, number one, we played several games of this yeah. where <laughs> uh, I never got to use my potential at all. Yeah. <laughs> before a, it was captured. It's a weird piece. It's, I mean, I, if I wanted to sound pretentious, I'd be like, it's a subtle piece. It adds hints of aromas of strategy to the, but you know what? We barely used it. Yeah. So the, the thing we discovered. captured before we ever actually used it. Yeah. Is that it's really only beneficial if you can slide it to a position in the middle of the board where you couldn't naturally get to anyway yeah and as the board starts to fill up that becomes (laughs) impossible you can't do anything with it i'm gonna lay out a very specific gip scenario here uh you've you've pushed some some pieces towards the center of the board and then the pieces that you used to push those pieces now disappear they're gone so the you've got a you've got this loaded piece here in the in yeah near the middle of the board and you, you want to get just like one spot further in towards the center of the board. But it's going to take you three turns to slide pieces up there. You can just break off that loaded piece and just go boop and, and put it where you want to put. Great. There's an example of a really good use of it. Yeah, we never did that. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we never did that at all. Uh, there were a couple of times where I was like, look, I may as well just use this. And I think like way buried down under all the dirt and soil is kind of a possible second use of it or a good idea is that it's effectively a free move without needing to spend a a piece from your reserve. And now all of them are kind of like that, but it's the only one that allows you to just like drop it onto an empty space. Everything else requires you to jump on top of something or over something. Um, So the jumper lets you go into an empty space but it has to be on the other end of a line yeah it has to be you have to jump over something which you know is its own limitation but i agree 
with the sentiment that it is seems to be the least useful. Yeah, I think the most benefit I got from it was not strategically for offense, but if I noticed that you were about to capture yeah. my double stack with the potential on top, yeah. uh, that I would just be like, well, yoink, I'll po- at least pop the top off so that... I think that's what I was getting yeah. at. was like, it gives you a move, a definite easy move without any preconditions attached. Like, you don't have to jump over anything or on top of anything. You can just be like, boop, and, and put it right next to yourself. Mm-hmm. And, it, and w- you don't have to spend anything from your reserve. Uh, and I maybe that counts for something? I don't know. We're not big brains over here. I think it might be interesting paired with the jumper. Oh, yeah. yeah. But we're not going to play that. No, we we're are gonna certainly go not. Pop right corning, on to the next one. <laughs> pieces popcorning all over the place. That's too crazy for us. We like to keep it keep it mellow over here. We like to keep it light. As Other than the Vital Asserta games, I suppose. <laughs> Onward. The final potential. Laura, we have done it. We have finally arrived at the end of the end of our journey. Mm-hmm. The, the end, this is the the end of our epilogue. <laughs> Together. We've done it. We've pushed through. We've we've grabbed both sides of the of the the, <laughs> the brick wall and we have ripped it open with our bare hands and shoved our faces all the way through. Mm. To the other side. Mm-hmm. And we see the finish line, and we just need to coat ourselves in enough Crisco to wriggle to our way, out the hole. Yeah, to wriggle our way through. Uh, can we just cut this one? And off? the Crisco, in this case, <laughs> in this metaphor, is the mm-hmm. final potential. Punked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. punked. The punked potential. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a bigger one. It's a it's a slammer jammer. The potential itself looks to me, I don't know, like a gear or a saw blade. Yeah, what do you think something like that. Sure. Yeah, it just looks like it's had a uh, like a, a corner cutter or a hole punch going kachunk 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 all around the outside of it. To me, it looks like a poker chip where the stripes that go on the outside of the poker chip are actually, are actually just like negative space cutouts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing about the punked potential is that it is the only potential that can mess with uh, the double stacks, the gift pieces. In fact, that's really what it does. Yep. It uh, it will just jump. Like the Devon potential, it'll jump right onto a gift piece. And once again, dismine now. Yeah. And it becomes your gift piece. Now, the catch is you have to have pieces left over in your reserve. And because when, you have to use those to claim it. Yes. And when you do that, you when you when you dunk on someone's gift piece, you then have to decide right then and there, do I put one of my basic pieces on top? And now that's just a basic piece. Mm-hmm. Or I put two of my basic pieces on top, and now that's a gift piece. And if it's a gift piece, then your opponent can then dunk on your newly created gift piece. Yep. And you can get you can get a stack a little high. We did not get that silly. No. Although in retrospect with this last game, I wished that I had <laughs> yeah. double stacked. Uh, so that I wouldn't have lost because you got my last double stack. And here's why you lost. We're going to go into great detail about why you lost. Okay. The reason you lost is the astute listener will think, well, gosh, if you slam jam on someone's last gift piece, does that lose them the game? It sure does. Yes, it does. Yep. Uh, so the thing we settled on is like, keep those gift pieces away from your opponent's punked pieces. 
Yeah. And then, then they end up in the middle because that's kind of where the gift pieces end up. Just naturally over the course of the game, they end up near the middle of the board uh, because they don't get taken away when you create a row for Yeah. And then these punked pieces come along and are just on the hunt. And they just they just chomp. They just they just dunk. They dunk chomp. They chomp to chomp punked. They they chomp while they're dunking. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that is that's the game. Uh here is our thoughts. Laura, go. Well, I didn't like losing this last one. Yeah. Uh I think I think it's a pretty fun one, honestly. It's sneaky. It's yeah. a it's a slow roll. Uh at least I think the most satisfying game that we played with it. I mean, I liked winning with the <laughs> you starved me out war yeah. of attrition, but yeah. uh, I do think that this last game that we played was was pretty fun, just in that yeah, you had an edge on me, but you couldn't quite seal the deal. Yeah, and it was just that I in the last move could not get my final gift piece yeah. away from your dang punct potential. Now, I'll tell you, I was ready to just write this one off right away. Just like the game it's based on, I was ready to say, this is garbage. Because <laughs> we did a little, you know, a little run through at first. And I was like, well, then I'm just going to put mine next to yours. And you'll put yours next to mine. And I'll put mine next to yours. And, you know, first player wins. Right. The first person to smother yeah. all of the other persons. Yeah. But. But then we, we did it different. We rethought it. Plus, you pointed out that one of those smothers could yeah. be a. Gip smother, which yeah. would leave you with another gift piece, even yeah. if all other three get smothered. So it's not as simple as we first kind of laid it out. Yeah. And so what we ended up doing was using them a little bit more defensively, a little bit more, you know, get them in the middle of the board where all the enemy gift pieces are going to be hanging out so that you can do a, a, a game winning dunk. Yeah. I would say more so than the other pieces, this is kind of a, at least in the games that we've played, yeah. a winning move, not an offensive move. Yeah. It's like a position yourself so that you can seal the deal in the end. Yeah, you create this kind of zone of influence that you just don't want your gift pieces hanging out anywhere near. Uh, great. Well, I think that's it. We've talked about all six of these. Mm -hmm. And by six, I mean five. Mm. Because as we established, the sixth <laughs> potential is the double stack gift piece. Mm -hmm. If we had to do a quick tier list right now, what would we do? I know, right? Don't think Ooh. about it. Just uh, point. Yeah, I like the donut. The donut. The donut's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it's fine. This is mine now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one's fun. Yep. It's like punked piece light where it just grabs everything but the punked piece. Yeah, and I also think that the, uh, the slide into the center was kind of fun because it was the simplest. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree with you. I like the the one mega move that you get, the the extra turn move that you get just by pushing something in the middle. That's fun. And the Devon is fun. Dismine now is is kind of fun. Uh, I think the the punked piece is amazingly kind of a dark horse. Yeah. Uh, the game itself still garbage, but the <laughs> potential is not not so bad it, it it definitely adds a little like a landmine almost like don't get close to that thing i think these potentials are enough to push gip up in the tier list oh above zerts 
Now that's interesting because yeah. I was going to say these make me want to slide Gip down <laughs> past Devon. Never play this game. No, no, with the just potentials. one step down. You're going one step up. I'm yeah. going one step down. I think that means that we meet in the middle. I think that's true. Yeah. Uh, I, the 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 biggest issue I have with Gip is that to me it feels scripted almost mm. because it's so open and because we're so equal. And this is just my pedestrian abstract game mind. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I push this in the middle, then you push this in the middle, then I push this, and then we create that stalemate, and then we go work on this stalemate, and then we go work on, but these yeah, potentials. Yeah, this changes that for yeah, sure. mixes it up. Unfortunately, this also changes it for me, and this is why I've downgraded it. Oh, uh-oh. To a game that you win vastly more than I do. <laughs> and I felt like we got to... A point with the original GIF where at least it was you know, close to balance. 50-50, sure. I don't know. It was quite 50-50, but it seemed like I had a fighting chance and something just locked in for you with these potentials. I wonder <laughs> now, I, I don't know how often I played first and you played first. I, I don't really know. We didn't, we didn't really keep It didn't track seem to that. make any difference. Okay. Well, I'm trying to be nice here. Mm. Um, but these potentials, if you can get your hands on them, I think. You know, don't pay $50 for them unless you're a Gipf maniac. But, you know, if someone is selling a copy of Gipf with the potentials and they don't add too much to the price, you could do a lot worse than picking them up and, and, changing, the, and changing the game up. Oh, yeah. There's fun to be had here. For sure. So. Uh, that's it. We have cleared the hurdles. We have, we have wriggled through the brick wall. Ugh. And we have taken the Great Space Coaster all the way through the Gipf galaxy. So the ultimate question. Oh, in the ultimate Gipf. And the ultimate showdown mm. of ultimate destiny. Are we keeping this set? Uh, Side note, dear listener. There is smoke coming out of my ears. There might actually be. Yeah. Uh, when Paul and I first met. Oh, tell me all about it. Well, first of all. Because I don't remember. You moved across the country. Oh, for and you. And as far well, I just sure, let's I just put it that way. Didn't know it at the time. Uh, <laughs> As far as I can tell, your car was entirely full of board games. Yeah, I had some clothes. Mm, this set of seven board games yeah. took up like mm, <laughs> the size of a five-year-old child, I think, yeah. in your car. At the time, yeah, as a percentage of the overall you know, square footage taken up <laughs> by the board games in my car, this was a pretty high fraction. So you obviously really liked these games. I did. I liked how they looked on my shelf. I liked that they had funny names, and I mm. kind of felt a little bit like um, you already come into the house nowadays and you see 200 games on the shelf. You already know we're <laughs> collectors. But at the time, I really felt like, what are these weird games with these weird names and the the hexagons and the the dots and all that stuff? I just don't know if they have the same impact on the shelf that they used to. Uh, mm. And I also don't know who I would play these with. Since I don't like half of them. Well, right. <laughs> you don't like half of them. I don't like half of them. And eventually there there would just be no excitement anymore, I think. Mm. We would we would have our opening moves and then our closing moves, and then that would be it. The ones that would be likely to stick around would be ones with a random setup. Lay it all out, and then bam, 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 bam. But I could see if we played them enough, we just you know bust out a 10-minute game of Devon, and we say, well, that was fun. I think I'm leaning towards if I, you know, can get the good price for them. I'm not going to be throwing them out my car at people. Hey, <laughs> play a gift game. 
But if I can find a good home for them and someone who'd pay me a reasonable price, I think I'm I'm willing to part with all of them because there's all kinds of stuff coming in that could they could take its place. Don't we have a shipment of like 14 coming next week? Uh, A shipment of 14 coming from Game Nerds. Thanks, Nerds Day. But we also have a big uh, no-ship auction up in New Hampshire that we'll be driving up to this weekend, and I picked up some games from there too. So I think uh, that and the fact that we've got other abstract games, especially The Duke, The Duke, that is um, more exciting. You know, you draw from the bag, you don't know what pieces you're going to get, and you, you make the best of what you've got. I think that's just kind of, for me, more exciting in an abstract. What do you think? Uh, well, I do like the ones of the series that I like. Yeah. But I don't want to keep the whole series because there are some that I really don't like. Yeah. And this is one of those sets of games where you kind of want to keep them all together. I think so, too. I can't imagine having just Czar on the shelf. Oh, what's that? Well, it's part of a series of seven games. Well, where are the other six? Uh, I didn't like them. Like I don't. I, I think I think we can find someone who would greatly appreciate the whole set. Yeah, I think so too. And if we can find that person, then I'd be happy to 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 pass these on to them and say, go go forth and enjoy, and bug the hell out of your significant other by winning all the time. <laughs> I gotta take it where I can get it. Uh, so I think that wraps it up for now. Why don't yeah. we uh, close it out? And uh, let's see. Anything we want to say? If you have opinions. Do you have opinions, dear listener, about anything? Well, board game related. Send an email to mostdifficult at gmail.com. We do not have any kind of social media. We're not on Facebook, not on Instagram. We do have a Twitter account, at two most difficult, the number two most difficult. You can check us out on Twitter if you want to see mostly clever uh, retorts and replies posted by <laughs> yours truly. Laura does not go anywhere near Twitter. It's true. Every now and then I will ask you to read something to me. <laughs> it does say on our Twitter account, most tweets by Paul in parentheses. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's disingenuous. All tweets by Paul. Oh, all tweets by Paul. Yeah. Occasionally with some kind of... Uh, nod of approval (laughs) (laughs) from me yep that's um that's it for us we're done so uh, until next episode dear listener we want to thank Thank you you for for honoring honoring us us with with your your ears. ears hexalong it's a it's a hexalong hello oh goodness waiting here for you Hexalong. Hexalong. Yeah, very good, very good. Well done.